Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. And you're invited. A foolish hunter. Something evil. This business is town. It chews you up and spits you out. Just an ex-boogeyman. Make a right. Not recommended for impressionable children. Well, only ghosty giving direction. Out <laughs> of drive. Welcome to episode 20 of It Came From Cleveland. How exciting is that? What a milestone. Whoop-whoop! Uh, yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna have some fun on the show tonight. Uh, let me get my volumes straight now. But, uh, yeah, we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna uh, talk some Tim Burton, three of my favorite movies. Uh, some Sean Connery from Joe. That's very exciting. Um, got a lot of fine moments from uh, Sir Connery. Yes. Yeah. And, yes, and uh, of course, it, and uh, Miles is going to be talking about, uh, well, we got, uh, you know, these are all birthday-oriented uh, discussions, but uh, uh, one, Ray Park has his birthday uh, this week, and uh, he was a le- legendary stunt guy who turned actor, uh, got his first big break, I think, in uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. As a little red and black guy called Darth Maul, and Miles is going to tell us a little bit about him. Yep, yep. And uh, maybe maybe we'll get get a little bit on Toad and Snake Eyes too. I don't know. Um, but uh, I'm a little torn. By the way, that new Snake Eyes movie that's out, I'm a little torn on that because it's like it's nice that they 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 you know they have there's an Asian actor in the role and everything. But the nature of Snake Eyes in the comic books was not... He didn't take his mask off and he didn't talk, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, the, so it's... Uh, it's I don't know. They, they just get the G.I. Joe franchise so wrong. Uh, and, of course, Michelle, you're, we're going to be crossing the streams, so to speak, because uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Tim Burton's first film, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and Tim Burton and... Paul Rubens share the same birthday week, and you're going to be talking about your favorite Paul Rubens moments on the show tonight. Yes, I am. Um, there's a little horror, there's a little uh, comic book action, and there is a, a little bit of just fun, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah. So there we yeah. go. So, uh, you know, so, you know what? I'm having a party, and you're invited! There you go. So. <laughs> and just because I have to inform everybody, the secret word today is. Bond. If you hear Bond, you have to shout and scream. Okay. So, <laughs> or in my case, I'll just play a crazy clip. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, like uh, this one. Uh, now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. Yeah. So, and we'll, we'll talk about that in, in, a, in a few moments here. But yeah, so uh, uh, on uh, prepping for the show, Michelle, of course, our invaluable researcher, uh, it found all these birthdays for us to pick from. And I had initially picked out a few, but then 
I was like, wait a second. I, you know, I started researching Tim Burton, and I, and of course, I always, sometimes I forget how much I love certain movies, and uh, but of course, one of my favorite movies of all time is a movie that he directed, um, and that's Ed Wood, and we will be talking about that shortly. But um, I thought there were there were three important movies to talk about from his career, and I kind of veered away from the real what you would call Burton esque stuff. Where he kind of really kind of you know with the the uh, the Beetlejuice and the Edward Scissorhands and Sleepy Hollow kind of stuff that all really has that major you know gothic kind of flavor to it that that Burton brings and I, I wanted to go with a you know a, a little bit broader of a spread I was even toying around with doing the Dark Shadows movie or Big Eyes. Um, uh, but I, I don't remember if he directed Big Eyes or not. But you know, while, while researching uh, him, finding out like what his first movie could have been is also one of my favorite movies. But it's interesting because in the in the eighties, uh, you know, um, he uh, you know he got his break with uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure in nineteen uh, what was that nineteen eighty five. But the film, there was a film um, called After Hours. Has anybody ever seen that with Griffin Dunn and Suzanne Arquette? Uh, and it was directed by Martin Scorsese, and it had also that had ring a bell for me. And it, uh, Cheech and Chong had a bit part in it too. But I love this movie. It's a, it's kind of a dark comedy uh, directed by Scorsese, and uh, Tim Burton. That was supposed to be his first movie, but he stepped aside. Because uh, Scorsese was trying to get backing for The Last Temptation of Christ, and he couldn't, so he put that on hold, so he went with this movie, After Hours. I highly recommend it. It's a really funny movie. Um, it's just about this guy having kind of the worst, most crazy night ever, and he's just trying to get home in New York City. And he just meets such a strange array of characters, and it probably is one of the films that has the best use of that that song is that all there is um is that all there is is that all there is my friend you know i i forget who who what well, not dusty springfield i forget who did that but uh yeah so um you know there's a lot of great films that that he did and uh but you know we have to start at the beginning and uh here is the trailer for 1985's uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and we'll talk about some of our favorite moments from this, and really what this movie, you know, I felt like this movie got me, and I also felt like Pee-wee Herman, and when we talk about that later with Michelle, uh, I I've really felt Paul Rubens and in, in Tim, Tim Burton were tapping into something, some part of me that had never been addressed uh, about, you know, my weirdo sense of humor and stuff like that, and I really identified with uh, this film and the character of Pee Wee Herman. So here, it, and and all the aesthetics and everything. But here's the trailer. Warner Brothers is proud to present the story of a guy. Good morning, I'm here. And his bike. James Bond kind of stuff. Together for the first time ah. in their first big movie. I meant to do that. Yeah. 
should have gotten the uh i'm a rebel i'm a loner dotty i should have gotten that oh um but yeah so uh the the you know and i don't know if you heard he said the secret word in there and i yelled yes i did i heard that that was great (laughs) (laughs) and uh and how funny is that that he's the first person to say it and yes. <laughs> uh, but but this movie just it hit on so many cool levels for me because I, I you know I always had a really kind of weird sense of humor when I was a kid and you know I really kind of identified with you know just the strangeness of this and you know just all the kitsch and all the you know the the old the nostalgia and everything and you know everything from you know the big shoe dance to you know him trying to you know keep from getting killed uh you know i say we let him go (laughs) you know just all that ridiculousness uh just was so wonderful and of course you know when he rides his bike across the movies lots and you know runs over the tanks and during the godzilla rodan fight or whatever it was (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, and then just the, the sheer craziness that, you know, what I think one of the most Tim Burton-y things of this movie had to be, you know, what scene that I'm talking about, Michelle, right? I'm guessing it was in a, uh, 16 wheeler truck cab. It certainly was large March. <laughs> and because that, you know, that effect that they did, that, that kind of claymation effect, uh, you know, Later on in Beetlejuice, a lot of very similar visual effects to the, you know, to the large Marge scene. So it's kind of like you know he found something he really loved and and worked you know continued to work with the team who did that kind of stuff, um, because it definitely had that crazy stylized stuff that you know so much of his animated work had you know later on you know. And, um, but, you know, just, it, I mean, the, everything about the bike and just the, the, the childish kind of little antics and then, you know, Hollywood wants to make a movie about him and everything. <laughs> and, uh, that, and then that, yes, that was, I believe, Thanos' father who played P.W. Uh, P. Herman in, uh, <laughs> in Pee-wee's life story. That was, uh, uh, James Brolin. Uh, and... Yeah, and, and not to mention Cassandra Peterson playing that beautiful red-headed biker mall at the bar. Oh, yeah. That's Elvira. right. Elvira. Elvira herself. Gorgeous. And I, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, she, uh, Cassandra Peterson and Paul Rubens are very, very, very good friends. Yes. Um, so uh, I, I, I believe I've, I've heard much talk of them being chums. And it makes, was- it makes sense because they were kind of on the same trajectory and kind of were doing the same kind of humor almost. 
Yeah, and she was one of the few people that stuck by him after he got arrested. Yeah, seriously. That that was ridiculous. Um, yes, you it know, was. Uh, you know, the, the way he was he was treated, and it's like, he was in an adult theater doing an adult, an adult thing, whatever. He made a mistake. Let it go. Um, so, uh, but... But yeah, and you know, and it, but it's so funny. Even through all that, you know, uh, uh, he continued, you know, later on to work with Tim Burton. Um, in um, uh, or I don't know if that was before or after Batman '89, but he did have a, a bit part in, in Batman '89 as well. As uh, or no, no, I'm sorry, Batman Returns. He had a bit part in that as Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin's father. Yes. Uh, of course, played by Danny DeVito. Um, and uh, by the way, I, I just I, at some point we're going to have to talk about the movie Throw Mama from the Train. Uh, oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> Danny DeVito actually directed that, too, which I learned last night. Um, I've been heavily nerding on a lot of uh, directors and stuff lately, so this is kind of fun. Well, but like, no, mm -hmm. Yeah, with Tim Burton, I love Big Fish, and that's an underrated movie. People yeah. don't like that movie, and I love it. I own a copy of it. Yeah, we own a copy of it too. I think uh, Susan bought one years ago, but um, I, I I can't say it's one of my favorites. Uh, but the thing is, I, I you know there are there are some movies that he's done that uh, that grate on my nerves. The Planet of the Apes movie is one. Um, you know, I'm not that huge of a fan of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, and Edward Scissorhands, uh, although I, I need to give Edward Scissorhands another spin because of the Vincent Price stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, but, you know, I just wanted to touch upon, though, the, uh, the, you know, his first film, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, because this is what got him his role. It could have, his career could have gone very differently had he not gotten this movie and gotten that After Hours movie. He might have been just lost and forgotten because... I don't think that it, knowing that movie so well, I don't think it was good material for for him. But then again, it would have been a completely different movie, and it might have been a bigger hit if if it hadn't been, you know, if if it had been directed by him and not Scorsese, because it wasn't that big of a movie. Um, you, but you know, it it had a, a good second life in the video uh, video rental and home video sales, um, you know, after the fact. Um, but I highly recommend you see that, that movie. If you want to see what could have been Tim Burton's first movie and imagine what it would have been like, you know, cause I can't think of two directors that are polar opposites, you know, I mean, I probably could think of a couple others, you know, uh, I don't know, like David Lynch and Randolph Scott. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, that's about as different as you get between Tim Burton and Scorsese because Scorsese is very, very, very grounded in realism. And, uh, you know, uh, and then you have Tim Burton who is Mr. Flight of Fantasy personified. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So now, uh, so this obviously was an important step in his career. It was his first film. It kind of really we started seeing some early Burtonisms there. Uh, obvi obviously, there were a lot of other things because Paul Rubens had already developed the character of Pee Wee Herman, and a lot of the things you know the the trappings of the character and everything. Uh, you know, it certainly wasn't Pee Wee's Playhouse, but it you know it was the same character. 
And um, it, it uh, and what what year did Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, debut, Michelle? Because uh... well, it was originally a Broadway show, yeah. And then the 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 Playhouse, it was in the eighties of some time. I'll look it up real quick. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, take your time. No big deal. But yeah, it was a stage show. Then it was the movie, and then it became, I believe, after that, it became a Saturday morning cartoon. I don't think the movie and the series were concurrent. Um, uh, Eighty-six. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, so a year year later, um, and um, uh, but yeah, so uh, the success of the movie obviously helped launch the the TV show, and you know the the stage stage act was a little more. Um, little more adult than the the peewee's playhouse but you know the humor on peewee's playhouse was still you know and i don't want to get into that territory too much but uh michelle will be talking about that later but yeah so uh and, and of course there were other projects around the same time that uh he um uh 1980 after uh he was offered big top peewee but uh he decided he wanted to pursue beetlejuice instead so we could have had him directing the second one. And then um, there was another movie called uh, Hot to Trot, <laughs> which was about a talking horse with Bobcat Goldthwaite. And, oh, yeah, I remember that. That was awful. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he said, uh, he said uh, you know, Warner Brothers tried giving it to him, and, and he said he was it said he was disheartened by their lack of imagination and originality, uh, one of them being yeah. too, too hot to trot. Um, now, this one, uh, well, we'll get to this after we, we talk about Batman, um, because this one uh, we need a little more time about. But this is this, – this, this is – this next one, I apologize, Michelle, is going to break your heart a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so here is, uh, uh, from 1989, uh, huge, huge influence on me. Um, you know, again, I, people were going crazy for this film. People were scalping tickets. Uh, people were bootlegging movie footage. They were breaking into bus stations and stealing the movie posters. Um, but it was Bat Batman from 1989, starring Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, and of course Kim Basinger, and um, and uh, and of course Billy D. Williams and Jack Palance. I mean, what an amazing cast this movie had, uh, you know. And so, uh, and by the way, what they did to Billy D. Williams in this franchise is just absolutely unforgivable. I'm so angry about that. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. But, uh, but yeah, here we go. Here's a teaser trailer from Batman 1989. Vicki Vale. Hi. Bruce Wayne. And what do you do for a living? I'd like you to handle this operation personally. Me? Nice outfit. Hold on a second. I can't make it then either. I've got a very important meeting today. Don't kill me! Don't kill me! Don't kill me, man! What are you? Batman. Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? Alfred, let's go shopping. dead my friend you can call me joker i feel a little drunk 
And you're not anything. Hey, one drink and I'm flying. Wing freak terrorizes. Wait till they get a load of me. <laughs> so yeah, just that little teaser trailer without the music. Uh, and... Um, and, you know, speaking of the music, Danny Elfman, of course, uh, composed the Batman theme, which is legendary. Uh, and he was actually worried he was going to get fired from this movie because he didn't think he was doing a good enough job. And Tim Burton said, no, 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 no. Go to the producers and play the main title, March. And he did, and they were like, okay, you're good. <laughs> He's an amazing composer. I love everything mm -hmm. I've ever heard of his stuff. You know, even, you know, just everything. <laughs> and, and, you know, what's really odd is sometimes I'll go back and I'll see that he's done music on something. And I'm like, what the hell? He did that? You know, I, you know, it, it's like there's three three people I always see on soundtracks. Well, four, really. Uh, Hans Zimmer, uh, you know, more recently. John Williams, yeah. of course, over the decades. Um, uh, Danny Elfman. Uh, uh, yeah, um, yeah, Danny Elfman, of course. And... Um, uh, what's Howard Shore? Um, and oh, I was surprised because Howard Shore actually did the soundtrack for Ed Wood, uh, five years later, 19, 1994. Um, and uh, but he did a superb uh soundtrack, and I'll talk about that when we get to Ed Wood. But uh, you know, there were uh, there were a lot of interesting things with uh, the Batman film and some of the actors that were under consideration. Um, for the roles of the Joker and Batman were pretty interesting. Um, and the, they had a few, like, they were even looking at, <laughs> I'm going to have to, uh, play something for Joe, uh, because, uh, you won't believe one of the people, uh, people that were, they were considering for the role of Batman, Joe. I gotta say something. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Batman no. with a mustache, everybody. Tom Selleck. Um, no. Yeah, there there were no. a, a lot of. Really... Well, he knows what's what. Yeah, he does. He does. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, there there were yeah. Tom Selleck was under consideration for it. Um, it, you know, a lot of really big guys who were like oh Harrison Ford. They were they were even considering. Um, but uh, there's a uh, hang on. I'm trying to find my. My article, I found a cool mental floss article where I got a, a little bit of this info from called uh, 20 Shadowy Facts About Tim Burton's Batman by Matthew Jackson from a couple years ago. And uh, yeah, there were, uh, I'm going to stop the autoplay ad, thank you. Um, but yeah, there were, the, the one of the interesting ones, and the movie could have very been very, very different. Uh, but one of the people th who desperately wanted to play the Joker was Robin Williams. Um, and, you know, I think it, it, it says he expressed disappointment that he didn't get it. Um, yeah, so, okay, so uh, some of the contenders for Batman were Mel Gibson, Bill Murray. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love Bill Murray, but get the hell out of here. Yeah, not in that, not in that role. Dude. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner. Uh, oh. uh, Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe is the Joker, maybe. Um, uh, Tom Selleck, Harrison Ford, Charlie Sheen. Um, you could add uh, Adonis DNA and Tiger Blood. Uh, Ray Liotta. 
and Pierce Brosnan, who actually regretted turning the role down. So another Ray name. would have been a good choice, I think. Ray had the intensity. Yeah, yeah. But Pierce Brosnan, uh, he didn't play Batman, but he played James Bond. Woo! <laughs> oh, oh, oh! <laughs> and um, and don't forget the other guy that was offered the job was Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> 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 yeah, oh. but he was he was busy uh, trying to nail down the James Bond uh, gig. Ah! <laughs> um, so in uh, in uh, but Tim Burton uh, he put up a fight to get Michael Keaton cast in this um, because he was you know best known for being in you know more comedic roles like Mr. Mom and Night Shift, and uh, a lot of people thought it was odd and that you know in uh, Michael. Uslan or Uslan, I don't know who was one of the producers, uh, thought it was a prank um, when he heard about Keaton. Um, but, you know, uh, obviously Burton worked with uh, uh, Keaton on Beetlejuice and uh, knew he was right because he could, you know, portray the obsessive nature of the character. And um, he felt that uh, Keaton was the kind of actor who'd need to dress up in a bat, as a bat in order to scare criminals. Uh, well, a typical action star would just garner unintentional laughs in the suit. Uh, so, and that, and again, I am reading a lot of that from the Mental Floss article by Matthew Jackson. Um, but uh, this is, um, uh, yeah, and other, there were other actors uh, or other directors uh, that were slotted for this at one point. Um, Joe Dante and Ivan Reitman. You know, of course, Joe Dante... Um, from Gremlins and uh, Ivan Reitman from uh, Ghostbusters. So, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, there were some, it, uh, the other people for uh, Joker, I think there's some really solid ones in here, although one that makes me want to throw up in my mouth. Um, but Willem Dafoe also was considered for the Joker. That, that would have been a good choice. Of course, he later on yep. went to be Green Goblin in the Spider-Man franchise. Um, and, uh, James Woods, boo, um, Brad Dourif, uh, great possibilities there. Yeah, for very him. much so. Uh, of course, he's the voice uh, of the original Chucky. Uh, of course, Mark Hamill did the more recent one. Uh, but Brad Dourif, you know, he was great in Dune and in, in uh, Blue Velvet. Uh, he definitely has that. He's got the angular features and the long face that could could have made a great scary Joker. Um, and Grimer Wormtongue. And Grimer Wormtongue. There you go. Uh, and in believe it or not, David Bowie was being considered for the Joker. He could pull it off too. Yeah, I believe he could have. So, but uh, but Robin Williams was the one who really really wanted the part, and he did not get it. So, um, but yeah, and, uh, and the, and the way he, uh, uh, Tim Burton won over Jack Nicholson for the role, uh, in the movie is, um, he invited, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson invited Tim Burton and the producer Peter Goober, uh, to visit him in Aspen for horseback riding. And Burton, uh, <laughs> told him, he's like, I don't ride. And Jack Nicholson said, you do today. Uh, <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> so he got on a horse and he and he agreed to play the clown prince of crime, 
And uh, one other fun fact, Eddie Murphy was in contention to play Robin from early versions of the uh, script. Uh, but then they realized that it would have been overcrowded with uh, Robin. Um, and, but they did it later. And um, and then oh, and another one, Sean Young from Blade Runner was or the original Vicky Vale as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so there, there's a, there's a bunch of fun facts in relation to, um, to Batman 1989. And you know what? If it wasn't for this movie, there would not be superhero. Uh, we would not have the proliferation of superhero movies we have today. An argument could be made that the Richard, you know, the first Superman film, you know, and Richard Donner, uh, you know, broke that ground, but that was a decade before, and a lot of the stylings and a lot of the technology and special effects and everything that uh, Burton applied in this movie got carried over for other other films and then are and they're still being used to this day especially the the suit you know I mean look at all look at modern superhero suits they can all be traced back to that one um, but uh, anyway yeah so we're gonna be back after this uh, for Joe I put together a big Sean Connery trailer break we got Zardoz we got time bandits and we got James Bond. Woo! Yeah. Uh, and we have uh, no, you. Um, I forget the third one, but here you go. Zardoz, Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. The gun is good. Who came here in the stone head? I don't know. It is the only path and passage into the vortex. You will show me how you come to be here. My name is Zed. Ozandos, I am an exterminator.
33, take two. One day they'll put me in a film, a proper full-length job. Until then, I'm just stuck with this sort of stuff. Go and see this. Don't miss that. The most terrifying thing you ever saw is coming to babysit for you tonight. All right, cut it there. Look, just read what's on the script, will you? What? The script. Other way up. Ah. <clears throat> Ready? Yes, yes. You flock to see brief encounters for the special... Close! Huh? Close Encounters. Close Encounters, the film. Oh, I never saw it. Well, forget that film. We're on about our film. Time Bandits. The word. Time Bandits, the one you are supposed to be promoting. Remember? <coughs> you flock to see Close Encounters for the special effects. You went to Superman to see a man fly. You went to Star Wars for the droids. You went... Now what? What's page two, man? It's under page one. See? Oh, man. Yeah, you went to Star Wars. Time bandits can offer you much, much more. It's not the special effects or flying men or droids which makes time bandits a unique cinematic... Cinematic! You know, pertaining to the cinema. Cinematic experience, it's the makeup. Yes, folks, you've never seen anything like it. Men made up to look like monsters. Monsters made up to look like men. Look alike men made up to look different. Different men made up to look alike. No expense has been paired, spared on the pan stick. The pan stick. No expense has been spared flying in the world's greatest makeup man. Just a minute, just a minute. What about the plot? The what? The plot. What the film is about. Well, I haven't seen it, have I? Haven't seen it? You're sitting there telling millions of people to go and see a film you haven't even seen? Well, I can't see every film I do now, can I? Oh, wonderful. Terrific. Look, give me that. What are you doing? Taking over. You're out. O-U-T. Finished. Kaput. Finito. And what about the trailer? I'll do it. Time Bandits is an awfully good film. We have worked ever so hard on it. It's a tremendous adventure story. We like it, and we're pretty sure you will. <laughs> What's wrong with it? It's direct, punchy, honest. Honest. <laughs> honest. Smartest. What's that got to do with it? <laughs> For six centuries, the legend of Robin Hood and Maid Marian has inspired hundreds of ballads, books, operas, plays, and movies. And now, the legend becomes a love story. Columbia Pictures presents Sean Connery and Audrey Hepburn in Robin and Marian. Go fight the sheriffs and the kings. I love you and you make me proud. I thought the man was dead. He's back in Sherwood. Robert is back in Sherwood, I said. We're here to serve you, Robert. And fight against that king. They're flocking to him in hundreds. He's become a legend. Have you ever tried to fight a legend? To some, he was a hero who would bring them hope. To some, he was a common thief to be hunted down. To some, he was an enemy to be respected and feared. To Marion, the woman he loved, he was... Her man. You're so beautiful. Come and sit by me. 
Sean Connery is Robin Hood. Robert Shaw is the Sheriff of Nottingham. Nicole Williamson is Little John. Richard Harris is Richard the Lionheart. And in her long-awaited return to the screen, Audrey Hepburn is Marion. No more scars, Robin. It's too much to lose you twice. I've never kissed a member of the clergy. Would it be a sin? I won't be long. I'll meet you back at camp. Don't go. I just want to look. See who's hunting me. King was generous. Sends a message. He wants Robin's head. Oh, mine. He can sit out there forever. He can't put a forest under siege. Will? Well, that's how I see it. If he comes in, we've got him. Chuck, we stay here. The man's mad. You haven't asked what I think. He's out there, Marion. He expects me. I think one madman's enough. I knew you'd come. Of all men, just for you. I know. This is the return of the spectacle and glory of another age, of heroes who are bigger than life and villains who are more than evil. The return of a great star, Audrey Hepburn. But most of all, Robin and Marion is the return of romance. For Robin and Marion, love is the greatest adventure of all. I love you more than God. How are you today? <laughs> Good. Uh, yeah, welcome back uh, to the show, of course. Yeah, Robin and Marion, that was the last trailer. There you go. So, uh, what a triple feature. Um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, I forgot to play something from, from Batman and I have to, because it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great moments from the film. And uh, of course, I love the fact that, um, uh, uh, Tim Burton, you know, gave, you know, he, he had such a respect for old Hollywood. And, and I'm going to talk about that momentarily after I'm done with Batman. And if I have to save any of my stuff for the end of the show, we didn't do Twilight Zone anything for tonight. And I apologize uh, for that, but uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a sweaty week here, so I haven't been able to focus very much. But welcome back, uh, Michelle, Miles, and Joe. Hello. Hello, hello. You're How are you today? Uh... <laughs> And uh, yeah, so uh, but there were a couple other things um, from uh, from this I wanted to play. But again, his respect for old Hollywood, uh, casting uh, the classic heavy Jack Palance, who really had been kind of relegated to B movies, and yeah, he did get some decent st work with like City Slickers and stuff like that. But Jack Palance had been, you know, you know, I, he did. I, I I have gore that he was in and stuff like that. You know, lots of really garbage movies <laughs> and he played uh, dracula once so he did cool. he did yeah and uh but he turned out he, he was uh uh jack napier uh, aka the joker's boss in this movie and he just had such a great delivery and i just have a, a quick clip from that it's an important job i need 
someone I can trust. <laughs> you are my number one guy. Oh, that intense breathiness that he always has in his delivery. It's 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 so good. <laughs> um I would not want to be alone in a room with uh, Jack Palance. Um and uh and of course, you know, he was doing Ripley's Believe It or Not in the eighties and stuff. Uh so, you know, that was kind of a you know, living off the fat of the land kind of job, you know. Uh but he was good at it. He was good at it. I watched it, I liked it. But um, the one, one of the more important uh, scenes of the movie, it's it's the opening scene, and I have totally forgot to play it. Uh, we and it was so chilling and such an iconic movie, and what so many people, comic book fans like me, uh, were waiting for. This, uh, this where you you think you see the beginning of the movie. And you think it's the origin story. You think it's the Waynes and and young Bruce in an alley, um, but you're tricked. It's not. It's an, it's another family, and a couple thugs go after. Hey, lady, do the kid a favor. Don't scream. Express card. Don't leave home without it. <laughs> hey, get out of here. Hey, let's beat it, man. I don't like it up here. What, are you scared of heights? I don't know. After what happened to Johnny Gobbs. Hey, look, man. Johnny Gobbs got ripped and took a walk off a roof, all right? No big loss. No, man. That ain't what I heard at all. I heard the bat got him. The bat? Oh, man, give me a break, will you? Five stories straight down. There wasn't no blood in the body. No shit. It was all over the pavement. Get that here, man. Hey, shut up, man. Listen to me. There ain't no bat. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have turned the gun on that kid, man. You shouldn't have turned the hey, gun on that kid. you want your cut of this money or not? Now shut up. Shut up. take this seriously. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, but no, I, you know, so there you go. You have the musical crescendo, uh, letting everybody know that that's synonymous with the uh, Cape Crusader, and um, you know, it's just a, it's just an iconic piece of film, and uh, it's been, you know, inspiration uh, for a lot of other things that have come to follow, and you know, especially today in the age of superhero movies. So, um, well, go ahead. Yeah. Well. The thing about that movie and and its predecessor, the one after it, um, it, people c- claim it was too campy and too comic booky. No, that was the point. It was beautiful, you know. It was the colors were gorgeous. The 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 way he and the music just fit so well in with the crazy characters, and it was great. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, it was definitely the the follow up. Definitely, with what was um, uh, did play up the camp in the, but it was more a Burton camp than just you know the camp camp of the sixties. Right, right. It's great stuff. Yeah, and uh, but you know the there was a lot of resistance from studios to make a serious Batman movie. Um, there was, uh, I think, uh, I, I think. CBS Pictures was interested in doing a Batman movie before this, but they were like, "No, we want to do Batman in space, or something like that." You know. Oh. But um. Uh. But yeah. So. Um. All right. So moving along, and one last clip. You gotta love this from Jack Nicholson. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? Yeah, that was great stuff. Um. And um. Oh, and uh, yeah, Adam wanted me to remind everybody he's doing a project called Dread Time Stories on Wednesday nights uh, here on, I don't know what time he has that, uh, oh, 7 Eastern uh, Wednesdays, so uh, check that out. Um, And uh, yeah, so, all right, rolling right along to my absolute favorite Tim Burton movie and one of my favorite films of all time. Um, I remember watching in... um, in my parents' house, I unfortunately had to move back in to my parents' uh, house like in 90, 92, I think, um, after a failed attempt to move out with a bunch of dipshit roommates. And um, uh, while I was there, I had a little black and white TV in my bedroom, and I was watching Entertainment Tonight. And I remember seeing, and I and the funny thing is, I waited and waited and waited to hear more about this movie. I was a huge fan of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Um, and I started learning a little dribs and drabs here about, you know, Ed Wood through magazines and stuff like that, movie magazines, because I would always buy, like, stuff like Film Facts and, um, oh, I can't remember what the other one was called. Um, and, and so I always knew who Ed Wood was, and I had, like, the CD of the entire audio of the movie, which I still have, I still own. And uh, I have two copies. I have one in the uh, original long box, too. Um, and, uh, it, you know, and, and I desperately was trying to get my hands on a VHS copy of this, but it was it was bare until I ended up finding, you know, through these movies like Film Facts, different places like Something Weird Video and Sinister Cinema that were putting out his movies, and so I was ordering them. And, um, and that's when VHS tapes were so expensive, and now the prices come back. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but no, I was buying movies for like, you know, 25, 30, 40 bucks a pop through mail order. And, uh, but I was watching entertainment tonight back in like 92 and they showed 
this thing on Entertainment Tonight. They're like, Tim Burton's next movie is about a crazy filmmaker, Ed Wood, who directed Plan 9 from Outer Space, the worst director ever, or something like that. And they and they were like, and Martin Landau is cast as Bella Lugosi. And I'm like, oh my God. You know, and then I start seeing like Bill Murray's in it and Johnny Depp is in it and, you know, the and, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker, who I kind of had a crush on back in the day. Not a Sex in the City fan. Sorry, folks. Um, but, uh, you know, it was and uh, and um, Rosanna Arquette mm, as well, who I also still kind of have a crush on. She's a great liberal, too. Um, oops, did I mention politics? Um, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, and George, the animal steel. Thank you, Francie. He played uh, Tor Johnson, which I thought was a really inspired choice for the role. And And Jeffrey Jones, Jeffrey Jones is Criswell. He did a fantastic job. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, Lisa, Lisa Marie as Vampira. Uh, I think she and Tim Burton were in a relationship for some time. I think they might've been married for a while. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, just a great cast, but I remember seeing this on entertainment tonight and it was like two years before the movie came out and I was like waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally I would, I, I, I was living in Kent in 1994 and I heard that it's playing on campus at Kent state university, Ed Wood. And I saw this in the theater, and I've never been so inspired after seeing a movie. And I actually wrote a, a, a screenplay after seeing this movie. Never did anything with it, but I have an entire film that I wrote <laughs> called Dr. Cosmotron and Mr. Majiko Conquer the World and Beyond, uh, a.k.a. Black Magic Space Science. Um, and uh, But yeah, so it's, it's like a period piece. It's like supposed to be like a B sci-fi movie, but... Uh, but yeah, one of these days I'll send you a copy of it. You can read it. Um, maybe we'll do an audio uh, production of it someday. And um, but yeah, so I see this. I see it's playing on campus, and I'm like, I gotta go. But so here we go. This is. Uh, I mean, it's one of those times where I've I've never felt so good after seeing a movie because it was somebody I wanted to learn more about. It was after I read the book, the Randolph Gray uh, uh, Nightmare of Ecstasy book, which was a series of interviews that the movie was largely based on the script the screenplay for it was and the, the screenplay the, te- the 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 husband wife couple who wrote this screenplay I'll find out their names they did a magnificent job they took a lot of liberties Tim Burton took a lot of liberties but um, the film was pretty true to a lot of things in Edward's life but here's the trailer from 94 Tim Burton director of Batman Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands now takes you to a completely different world. The true story of a Hollywood legend, Ed Wood. And action! He made movies like no one else. You want to keep moving? You've got to get through that door. Ah! That was perfect. Perfect? Do you know anything about film production? Well, I like to think so. He had an eye for talent. I met Bella Lugosi. I thought he was dead. This is the most uncomfortable coffin I've ever been in. No, he's very much alive. <laughs> you flying saucer? He had a passion for storytelling. Get me transvestites. I need transvestites. You're flashy. They want that. Okay. But they want professionalism. So Nick Nelly without losing naivete. 
What kind of a movie is this? It's science fiction. A heartbreaking romance. Brave robbers from outer space. Brave robbers from what? And he had a secret he couldn't hide. I like to dress in women's clothing. Panties, sweaters, pumps. It's just something I do. You don't like sex with girls? No, I love sex with girls. Wearing their clothes makes me feel closer to them. How can you act so casual when you're dressed like that? All right, everybody, let's finish this picture. Touchstone Pictures presents Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, and Bill Murray in the true story of an unforgettable filmmaker. We're making another movie. I got the Church of Beverly Hills to put up the cash. How do you get all your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie? And his legacy that will live forever. How do you burn this off? Shake his legs around. Looks like he's killing you. Ah! This is the one. I command you! This is the one I'll be remembered for. Ed Wood, a Tim Burton film. Really? Worst film you ever saw. Well, my next one will be better. Hello? Hello? Uh, oh, gosh. What a, what a great film. And, you know, uh, I, I think that, the you know, uh, the, the movie was fairly respectful for you know coming out in 94 of you know him being a crossdresser and um you know and, and that's something he literally did on on the set of his films he would wear sweaters and skirts and heels and you know call cut call action whatever um and because it, it was you know how he operated it made him comfortable um and uh, there, there are a lot of uh, apocryphal stories. One was repeated in in this movie that has been debunked since then. Uh, he said uh, there was a line in the movie where he said he was, you know, he'd if if he was injured because he fought in World War II. That is highly exaggerated too. What his participation was in World War II. There was a guy who actually did a lot of investigation on Ed's. Uh, um, involvement in world war ii um i should send you the book miles it's really fascinating with all the documents that they have reproduced in it and everything oh. um and uh it's uh but uh, it, a lot of the the stuff he he told you know oh you know i was wearing you know uh, women's undergarments under my uh fatigues and 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 you know uh and and i i i if if i got shot on the battlefield i hope i was killed so i wouldn't you know have to explain to anybody what i was doing uh, from what i understand that was not true uh but uh you know again he, he was kind of a braggart and um you know but it, there, there were a lot of you know that happens a lot with with people um who uh you know are are attention seekers so and that's what ed wood was so uh but yeah great movie um i want to get to uh, one clip from it the uh, you know another great thing about this is casting the genius decision to cast. Uh, uh, oh, and, and I'm wrong. It's not a husband and wife team who wrote it. It's a, a guy named Scott Alexander and Larry Karazuski. Uh, they're a screenwriting partner, and uh, they uh, they did uh, Problem Child, The People versus Larry Flint, Man in the Moon about Andy Kaufman. They kind of specialize. Um, about uh, oh, and they did Autofocus, the the movie about the downfall and subsequent murder of 
Bob Crane from Hogan's Heroes, uh, and uh, they recently did that movie about Rudy Ray Moore, um, Dolomite Is My Name. Uh, and they, oh, they also wrote Big Eyes that Tim Burton directed. So they do a lot of, like, kind of biopic, uh, fantastical biopic kind of things. <coughs> Excuse me. And, um, and, and, you know, their, their style definitely shows if you look at movies like The Man in the Moon and My Name is Dolomite, People versus Larry Flint. Uh, they kind of, like I said, they specialize in, in, uh, kind of oddball characters. Uh, for their movies, and um, I highly recommend My Name is Dolomite. I think that's still on uh, uh, Netflix right now. I, I think Ed Wood and My Name is Dolomite it would make a perfect double feature because both movies are about underdogs working in the film industry, and uh, you know from different eras, but you know one you know in the in the fifties and in the seventies. But it would make a really good double feature. Um, but yeah, so this movie, again, the genius decision to cast uh, uh, Martin Landau as Bella Lugosi got Martin Landau the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And uh, I have a little bit of part of the speech that uh, really propelled him over over the top uh, where he uh, he was recreating uh, a speech that Bella Lugosi gave in the film Bride of the Monster, and uh, this was just magnificent. Home. I have no home. Hunted. Despised. Living like an animal. The jungle is my home. I shall show the world that I can be its master. I shall perfect my own race of people. A race of atomic supermen that will conquer the world. There you go. So what what a what a master. Uh I, I truly miss Martin Landau. I've I've admired him since I was a kid because you know, of course I loved him on Space 1999 and Mission Impossible. And uh, anytime he would show up on something, I'm like, ooh, Martin Landau. You know? Uh, so, and uh, also, uh, Miles, did you know who Martin Landau uh, was uh, a, a, contender, a contender for the role of Spock in Star Trek? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. So, uh, we probably mentioned that fun fact on the show before. Um, yes. but, uh, anyway, yeah, so let's go ahead and, uh, go to the break. I'll have a little bit more, uh, Tim Burton fun facts for, towards the end of the show when we, well, if, if we have time for leftovers. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna shift gears when we come back and talk about another birthday, birthday fellow this week. One Sir Sean Connery, right, Joe? That is the target. He's Bond. <laughs> Yeah, so I decided that I'm going to play a goat farting and a child screaming. <laughs> so, there you yeah, go. I've got the I've got the Pee Wee uh, Playhouse gif, so I pop that in the chat every time. Nice, nice. That goat, that goat was shaken, not stirred. Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go ahead and hit the break. Uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll talk about some Sean Connery. Now you 
Come on. Let's get nuts. And now, on with the show. I'm having a party, and you're invited. Going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. Of fearsome mutated beasts back from the dead, kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Now, at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish unto you. Something evil. Zadas! Zadas! Speaks to you. His chosen ones. Not recommended for impressionable children. Zardoz isn't recommended for anybody. <laughs> no! <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll say this. You gotta see it once just so you can say you saw it and you, and you believe it exists. It's just such such a ridiculous film. Uh, but anyway, uh, welcome back, Michelle. Hello, hello. Uh, looks like we have another birthday. Uh, oh. Shawnee was born on Shani. August 25th, 1992 for Francie. There yeah, you go. Shanny. Shanny. Um, uh, Shanny. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. And, of course, welcome back, Miles. Happy birthday to Shanny. Hey. And um, uh, and Joe uh, Santorsa, uh, also heard on the Tim Cormel show. Uh, you're ready to talk about some uh, James Bond, right? <laughs> His name is Bond. What? James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I went overboard with that. Perhaps I went overboard with that. <laughs> A little bit. Sebastian <laughs> Cabot. Uh, trying to use the phone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, all right, yeah, you, you've you've uh, decided to uh, pick out some uh, some of your favorite moments of Sean Connery on screen, and where would you like to I, begin? I, I did, I did, and um, also have some fun facts about Sean in between. But uh, I thought we'd start with his uh, iconic role, the role that was his breakthrough role, James Bond. Oh yes, and uh, You've got Bond. to get through that door. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And of course, his first Bond film, uh, which was uh, Doctor No. No, no. Uh, I think it was Doctor no? Okay. 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 Uh. <laughs> <laughs> funny. All right. Oh boy. All right. So um, yes, and this was the first time you're going to hear the famous line. Where he gives his name. All right. Here you and go. it's uh, clip number one. All right, you got it. I admire your courage, Miss uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. <laughs> there you go. So, you didn't uh, expect that, did you? <laughs> no, no. So. <laughs> <laughs> You'd expect them to say that. Yeah, you know, uh, actually, uh, Ian Fleming did not want him as uh, as uh, James Bond. 
didn't think he was uh, the way he put it. He said uh, he's not what he envisioned uh, of a James Bond look. Uh, he was more uh, of an overgrown stunt. He said. <laughs> oh wow! And just yes. because you said Bond so many times, I'm gonna do an eagle scream right. for you. Uh, but yeah. after after and, the Doctor No premiere. Huh? Oh, oh, I was just gonna say, from what I understand, I, I think James Bond was kind of portrayed as a like a blonde kind of, you know, super a commander, commander, you know, like you know, English, upper English, not not this uh, muscular six foot two Scott, mm-hmm. you know. But afterwards, uh, after the Doctor No premiere, he uh, in his in his books he changed uh, the character's heritage. To Scottish and uh, and uh, actually made the Bond character in the books more adhere to the to the uh, Sean Connery uh, persona. That's, that that's pretty fascinating. So I'm glad George R. R. Martin didn't adopt that from the Game of Thrones TV show. <laughs> well, then there's my favorite <laughs> Bond scene of all time. And that's the one where Goldfinger has him tied to a table and is uh, explained to him about his new toy, which he has aimed right toward Bond's crotch. That would be clip two. Mm -hmm. I do have a new toy, but considerably more practical. You are looking at an industrial laser which emits an extraordinary light, not to be found in nature. It can project a spot on the moon, or at closer range, cut through solid metal. I will show you. This is gold, Mr. Bond. All my life I've been in love with its color, its brilliance, its divine heaviness. I welcome any enterprise that will increase my stock, which is considerable. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Choose your next witticism carefully, Mr. Bond. It may be your last. The purpose of our two previous encounters is now very clear to me. I do not intend to be distracted by another. Good night, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I love gold. Sorry, I had to get that in there. (laughs) (laughs) It's so bad. He loves only gold. Yes, so. So. So, yeah, I expect uh, you to die. I expect you to die. <laughs> well, that thing. But he talked his way out of that one. Yeah. And uh, by the way, he talked his way out of uh, things like that in real life. Apparently, when he was uh, doing a uh, doing South Pacific in Edinburgh, uh, he was attacked by one of the most vicious gangs of the city. Really? In real life. Yes, and in a billiard hall. 
and uh, there was an altercation, and six of the gang members gang members followed him to a 15-foot high balcony, where everyone knows that Sean Connery was a bodybuilder. Yeah, a six-foot-two bodybuilder, and um, he single-handedly <laughs> grabbed. One by the throat, one by the bicep, cracked their heads together. From then on, they didn't bother him at all. Good for him. Well, I bet if you stand up to those bullies, sometimes it works. Sometimes and if you're, you and, kills, if you're but... and if you're a six foot two bodybuilder, it yes, <laughs> which he was. So he really had some real life, uh, uh, you know, uh, close calls. Yeah, and chutzpah. And chutzpah, absolutely. Yeah. But getting back to our clips, um, we have clip number three, I believe, is when he meets <laughs> when he meets Mr. Goldfinger's personal pilot. I don't know if you know her, but you'll hear her name. Who are you? My name is Pussy Galore. I must be dreaming. <laughs> I must be dreaming. It's one of the worst Bond names. Uh, yeah. Oh. Bond girl names. Oh, it's awful. But what you miss in that clip in the audio is, is the look on his face when she says that. Oh, yeah. He, he just looks away like, you got to be kidding. <laughs> Where am I? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, he was he was always cool. A lot of the clips, you know, didn't age well. <laughs> I'll tell you. That's true. No, no, they they it was, the the Bond series was a bit misogynist at first, a bit. Um. But anyway, um, he also ran into trouble on Thunderball. Uh, apparently, when he was in the villains' uh, pool, uh, mm -hmm. there's supposed to be sharks in it. And when he read the script, he was a bit concerned, and he insisted that the uh, the director put a plexiglass partition in the pool. I but the shark got but the shark got through it. Oh God! Oh yes, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it was more than gangs after him. <laughs> you th you think he had a hard time with uh, with uh, uh, the guy throwing his his top hat at him? <laughs> Odd uh, job. The, yeah, the, the sharks were something. So but, he, was, uh, he was in uh, fights with uh, sharks and jets, or no? Sharks, yeah. <laughs> he would have rather been with the sharks than the jets, believe me. But, uh... But, yeah, okay, that's, a, so, that's a close call. Yes, a close call. And that's about it for our, our, uh, our James Bond, um, James Bond site, but uh, oh, we do have one more. We do, because he was it, apparently he was kind of a square. Where? The, in the fourth clip you sent me. Yeah. Oh, yes, like yes, that's right. That's right. He doesn't like the Beatles, you know. And I, I thought you'd get a kick out of that because I know you're not a big <laughs> Beatles fan. <laughs> no, no. And and I, I remember this this particular uh, clip and. Um, yeah, he has a little thing to say about the, uh, the Beatles at the end. If you listen carefully, yeah, he's, he's a, a little the... upset because his 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 uh, his 
his aged champagne is not chilled enough. Oh, it's lost its chill. Why? There's another in the fridge. Who needs it? My dear girl, there are some things that just aren't done. Such as drinking Dom Perignon 53 above a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. <laughs> and and that's why uh, Paul McCartney refused to do a, the soundtrack until Roger Moore took over the role. No. <laughs> can can, I, make, can no. I make an editorial comment here? Sure. Don Perignon tastes like crap. <laughs> well, <laughs> you probably yeah, but, but Michelle, you probably had it when it's above sixty-eight degrees. See. See? No, oh, it's 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 it, oh no, it's acidic. It's nasty. Ugh. I've never had it. Oh, okay. Well, he had other great roles too. Uh, Brian De Palma's Untouchables was one of its best. One oh, of yeah. his best. Uh, won an Academy Award for that. And uh, if you haven't seen the Untouchables, where he plays that sassy Irish cop, watch mm -hmm. it. Great it movie. Great movie. Uh, he also turned down the role of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Said he didn't understand the script. <laughs> yeah, I remember hearing that. And I thought, man, that's... Uh... Well, it, it yeah. was quite a sprawling film. But, you know, I mean, he... It was, it was a sprawling set of books. You know? Well, he, apparently he understood Highlander, too. Uh, Three men of the he planet did. Zeist. Hear me. <laughs> he turned down the opportunity to be Albus Dumbledore in Harry Potter. Because he didn't understand. Oh, really? Yes. And this is a surprise, especially since it's going to be coming back. He could have been the architect in The Matrix. Oh, because he didn't understand okay. the script. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway. Pill, the blue pill. Well, anyway. Then he went on to do a few other films like Indiana Jones. That's right. Right? Uh, Last and, Crusade. Uh, right. And, well, th the first clip's a little long because uh, it's really the, the crux of the film. Because mm -hmm. they have to go back to Berlin to get his, his diary. Here we go. We're going the wrong way. We have to get to Berlin. Brody's this way. My diary's in Berlin. We don't need the diary, Dad. Marcus has the map. There is more in the diary than just the map. All right, Dad. Tell me. Well, he who finds the grail must face the final challenge. What final challenge? Three devices of such lethal cunning. Booby traps? Oh, yes. But I found the clues that will safely take us through in the Chronicles of St. Ansel. Well, what are they? Can't you remember? I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. Half the German army's on our tail, and you want me to go to Berlin? Into the lion's den? Yes. The only thing that matters is the grail. What about Marcus? Marcus would agree with me. Two selfless martyrs. Jesus Christ. That's for blasphemy. The quest for the grail is not archaeology. It's a race against evil. 
If it is captured by the Nazis, the armies of darkness will march all over the face of the earth. Do you understand me? This is an obsession, Dad. I never understood it. Never. Neither did Mom. Oh, yes, she did. Only too well. Unfortunately, she kept her illness from me. Oh yes, the diary. That was the diary. That 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 was a really good script. That movie really it had was. a great script, and it, you know it was. It, it, to me, it was really exciting to see Sean Connery cast as you know uh, uh, Indiana Jones's father. That was that was pretty neat. It, it really kind of gave that third and what should have been the final movie in the franchise the punch that it needed. Um, yes. But uh, an other, other interesting tidbit, that's more of a direct sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark because the uh, the Temple of Doom was actually a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. It took place right. earlier. So anyway, right. sorry, nerding. Yeah, they did jump around a lot. And, and they said that... Uh, you, they were happy that they cast him because uh, he had a lot to say about the uh, the script. He was very valuable in developing the character. Oh, very cool of Henry Henry Jones. So, yeah, uh, and there was a lot of discussion about a lot of bitterness between uh, Indiana and his his dad about uh, his dad not being around when he was a kid and everything. So uh, he explained why he was really a good father. Clip two. That's you'd have understood that. Actually, I was a wonderful father. Did I ever tell you to eat up, go to bed, wash your ears, do your homework? No, I respected your privacy, and I taught you self-reliance. Self-reliance. That's a good way to look at it. That's good parenting. Right there. Leave him alone. <laughs> he definitely wasn't a tiger dad. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And, um, of course, he, he, he had very little, uh, Henry Jones had very little, uh, um, later on, a little uh, respect for, for Nazis. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially their, their aversion to books. And uh, this, uh, yes, this Sorry. Next, next clip, right. Here you go. Goose-stepping morons like yourself should try reading books instead of burning them. Yeah, it's a good line. Yes, yes, <laughs> like, like unlike Fahrenheit four fifty one or whatever. Yeah. Um, and also, he uh, Henry got around. I mean, he, he had a good sex life. Uh, apparently, him and Indiana shared some uh, paramours. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I Just know. The, the mere thought of that. Uh, I, I I know. I know. But here, in clip four, we it find works. out one it of, works as a good foil in the in the context of the movie. I suppose it does. It does. <laughs> How did you know she was a Nazi? Hmm? How did you know she was a Nazi? She talks in her sleep. Oh boy, that's something wrong about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very wrong. Very wrong. And also, um, as we know, you know, uh, uh, Harrison Ford himself is is a pilot. 
right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, has had trouble with landings in he real really life. He really has. Yes, he really <laughs> yes, has. Yes, he has. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, clip five, he has a little problem in the movies, too. I didn't know you could fly a plane. Why, yes. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Fly, yes. Land, Land no. no. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true of him in real life, too. You know, I got to say, this mo- the scenes like that really tested the father and son bond between the two of them. Oh, hey, hey, hey. you slipped that right in there, didn't you? The father and son bond. Bond. Michelle. I've got it. Yay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I posted it in chat already. So. All right. Okay. There you go. I've got my P.U. Herman Giffen chat. So there we go. There you are. So, but no, that, that just, uh, you know, that, that movie was so good when it, when it came out, I was so happy. It was. Uh, and, and I was like. You know, I didn't feel like I needed another Indiana Jones movie after that, but apparently they felt the need to do the Crystal Skull, which was terrible, and they're going to do even another one. Um, Hopefully which, they will redeem themselves with this new one. I, we shall see. Not, I'm not optimistic, but we'll see. Yeah. There was a third film that I didn't see, but uh, Michelle went on about it, so uh, I watched some of the highlights. What? and Huh? I said, "Woot! Yay!" <laughs> Yay! And Michelle, you were right. Um, we were watching some of the clips, and uh, even, even Barbara said, well, "Why did we miss this movie?" Yeah, you have to watch the full-length one. Watch. Yes, it. I said, "Oh, I don't know about the series. That didn't look as good." No, just that movie. Just but the, the movie looked yep. great. And uh, I don't know if you ever saw Outlander, but that series—it's a ripoff of Highlander. Yep. But, but anyway. And amazingly uh, enough, uh, he all, Sean Connery also did a movie called Outland. Yes, yes he did. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, well, clip one is the opening to the movie Highlander. Uh, listen to the, uh, the sound grade of this and the echo. From the dawn of I'll time we came, moving silently down through the centuries living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you. Until now. It's pretty great. Yes. And did you notice the echo? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he recorded that in his bathroom. Ah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I guess he was eliminating and he had to get work done. He did his own foley there. There you go. <laughs> he, did, he did. He did. He actually recorded that in his bathroom and the door was closed. And that hence the echo. But it worked out okay, I guess. Yeah. Uh the next terrific. the next clip, uh the last clip uh from Highlander and for for uh, Sean Connery uh is from Highlander and uh I got to tell you, at the end of this, great advice. Great advice. There you go. You must learn to conceal your special gift and harness your power until the time of the gathering. What gathering? 
when only a few of us are left, we will feel an irresistible pull towards a faraway land to fight for the prize. Come on! Master! Never lose your temper. If your head comes away from your neck, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's great advice for anybody. Yes. Don't, don't lose your temper because if your head comes away from your neck, it's over. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yes. apparently that, that's the only way to kill a Highlander, I believe. They can sus uh, yes. sustain any kind of damage except for decapitation. Decapitation. Right. And even partial decapitation can be healed, according to you. The Kurgan was partially decapitated. His, his throat was slit. Ooh. But your your head cannot come away from the Correct. Neck. You can't <laughs> sever the spine, I think it is. Yep. Uh, right. So, uh, yeah, that, was a, that, that last clip was uh, from the scene where he's teaching. Is that his brother, Michelle? Uh, um, where he's teaching? No, he's teaching the Highlander. He's teaching. Okay. This is a young Scottish guy that was out in a war. They were it was the clan war. He okay. died on the battlefield, and then he woke up again because it wasn't a. It wasn't a. He did his head wasn't severed from the spine, mm -hmm. and he was ostracized by his uh, his community because of that they thought he was like a witch or a warlock or something. So yeah, he starts teaching him when he right. he hears about him. And that's that's what that clip was was the right. uh, training training scenes. Oh, there's some so, beautiful training montages in that I'll tell movie. You, there there are, and and I gotta tell you, uh, the cinematography must. I, I was watching it on my computer. If you're seeing it on a big screen or even a big TV, the, the cinematography is amazing. Just the little snippets I saw. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did beautifully, and the and the, there's some beautiful fight scenes in a tower, and everything they did in that movie was really enjoyable. And yeah. it's just a shame that the the proceed the movies that came after it kind of sullied. <laughs> and I had a, I had to wonder if that one scene where they're on that pinnacle mountain, mm -hmm. you know, was that really them? No, did really, no. Did those, they really plopped them up there? No. If you look at them closely, they they are actually stuntmen. You can tell because the girth on the Sean Connery guy is a little bit wider than Sean's waist was, mm -hmm. and the, the the hair color wasn't quite right for the. Uh, um, uh, the, 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 the other guy. So, yeah, I didn't think so. That was a kind of a hairy scene. And, uh, yes. And then, but you know, don't forget, um, you know, if you want to learn more about the Highlander, check out Highlander two, where they come from. What, what planet? Three men of the planet Zeist. Hear me. Yeah. <laughs> that movie does not exist. <laughs> the Three men of the planet Zeist. Zeist. <laughs> How do you love just that hearing so Sean horrible. Connery I'm say the word Zeist? I'm Zeist. Zeist. Trebek. <laughs> Three men of the planet Zeist. Hear me. Ah, uh, yeah. It's, Ramirez. It's a Scottish, it's a Scottish planet. A, Scot a Scottish guy named Ramirez from the planet Zeist. Zeist. <laughs> uh. a, a Scottish Egyptian guy from, you know, that was pretending to be a Spaniard. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, get it right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. From the planet. Three men of the planet Zeist. Hear me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, we got to go on to the break because uh, Miles is going to uh, w- talk to us a little bit about uh, the character of Darth Maul when we uh, return. Yep, yep. And uh, we've got uh, Mythical Moment 18 from uh, Mr. Hebert. This one's called Bamboozled. Can't wait to find out what it's all about. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll. Uh, be back shortly and uh, continue on with the fun on this 20th episode of It Came From Cleveland. It's an important job. I need someone I can trust. You are my number one guy. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland. This is Adam Hebert with Mythical Moment 18, Takitori Monogatari, Bamboozled. Like every culture in the history of mankind, Japan has many beloved fairy tales. One of the most beloved Japanese fairy tales is the Takitori Monogatari, or the Bamboo Cutter's Tale. Our story begins with a man in his twilight years. He was a bamboo cutter by trade, and he turned the bamboo he cut into wares that he would sell. It was a difficult living, and money was never plentiful, but he and his aging wife were happy, although they lacked a child. One day, the bamboo cutter was cutting down some bamboo for his wares, when he felled a rather large bamboo stalk. Inside the base was a small infant girl. He decided to bring her home, and he and his wife resolved to raise her as their own daughter. They gave her the name Kaguya, meaning shining. Because of her radiant beauty, even as an infant, many took to calling her by the honorific of Hime, which in Japanese means princess. Therefore, Kaguya Hime means shining princess. The little girl grew, and in time she had become a young woman. And as she grew, whenever the cutter would fell a piece in bamboo, he would find nuggets of gold or silver, or even jewels in the stalks. Because of this, the family became rich, and as Kaguya grew to womanhood, the bamboo cutter tried to protect her from those who would cover her for her beauty. Unfortunately, rumors of Kaguya spread far and wide, and soon the young woman had countless suitors, the five most prominent being high-ranking government officials. However, she had no interest in any of the suitors. To the scourge of five who refused to leave, she offered some tasks that many would consider impossible. One would have to fetch a robe made from hides of Chinese fire rats. Another would be tasked with fetching the stone begging bowl of Shakyamuni, the original Buddha. Another would have to go to the mythical island of Horai and bring back a jeweled branch from one of their trees. Another would have to fetch a colored jewel from the neck of a dragon. And finally, the last would have to find a cowrie shell born from a swallow. Unfortunately, none met with success. The man searching for a dragon's jewel encountered a storm quickly and decided the hand of Kakuya wasn't worth his life. Another fell from the nest of a swallow while he was trying to reach into the nest and find the shell. The other three took more wily approaches. One paid a jeweler to forge a jeweled branch from Horai, but that was found out when he returned to present the branch because a messenger from the jeweler arrived demanding payment. The other brought a robe made from fake fire rat skins, but that was found out when the robe that should have been fireproofed turned out to be very much the opposite. 
the final suitor tried to pass a blackened portion of an old pot off as the Buddha's stone begging bowl, but was found out when the bowl didn't shed holy light. After the five failed to win her hand, the Emperor of Japan himself came to see Kaguyahime, and he instantly fell in love with her. While she didn't ask him to do an impossible task, she still refused his offer. Still, the two became friends and did exchange letters for three years. Eventually, Kaguya revealed that she was actually a princess sent from the Kingdom of the Moon to her parents and the Emperor. The gold, silver, and jewels had been money to ensure Kaguya's upkeep, and she told him that soon she would be called upon to return. The night of Kaguya's return to the moon came, and the Emperor had the Bamboo Cutter's estate surrounded by armed guards, and yet the people of the moon descended to bring Kaguya back with no effort. She gave her parents and the Emperor tale for goodbyes and was led off to a palanquin that flew into the night sky to the moon. Eventually, the heartbroken Emperor found a final letter from Kaguya made to him. With that letter was a vial of the elixir of immortality, a secret of her people. She truly did have feelings for the Emperor and revealed that she only turned him down because she knew she wouldn't be allowed to remain on Earth. He refused to consume the elixir and instead asked one of his ministers what mountain in the land was closest to heaven. He ordered his men to take the letter and elixir to this volcanic mountain and burn it there. And they did as they were told. The mountain would forever glow with fire and flow with lava, and it would become to be known as the Immortal Mountain, or in the language of Japan, Fuji-san. Today, we call it Mount Fuji. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert. Back to you, Kenny. is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks, Alexander. I know you are, but what am I? One of the hosts of It Came From Cleveland. Welcome back to It Came From Cleveland, episode 20. Thank you very much, Joe, for your uh, Sean Connery stuff. Uh, we appreciate that. It's nice to celebrate uh, of one of the master's birthdays uh, this week. Yes. And uh, Michelle, eagerly anticipating hearing more about Paul Rubens. As you can see, I broke out lots of uh, clips that I already had for you. <laughs> so. Oh, that, that's no problem. I'm also um, excited uh, for the trailer block, too. That's oh, yes, the trailer well. block. You'll get, to, you'll get to elaborate on that later for uh, a very special birthday. Don LaFontaine, uh, Mr. Movies. Um, and uh, and of course another birthday this week, uh, stuntman turned actor and uh, actually fight choreographer would be more accurate I think to describe him. Uh, Ray Park, uh, Miles, and uh, this kind of gets into your wheelhouse into the Star Wars territory. It does indeed, Ray Park. Um, I had also heard I, I I googled relentlessly trying to find the story and I failed because from what I heard. There was 
what I'd heard was that there was another actor that was supposed to play Darth Maul, and I can't find this story at all. And this actor was supposed to follow the choreography, as you say, that uh, Ray Parks had come up with in the fight with Qui-Gon and Kenobi. And apparently, uh, rumor was that Lucas was so impressed, he just said, well, heck, you played Darth Maul. And Mm -hmm. so... Uh, th- that's what I'd heard, but I can't find any confirmation on this story. But what I'm hearing, what I've read and found, is that yeah, he was brought in, and Lucas said, "Yep, okay." And I I can't find anywhere where he replaces anybody else. So uh, uh, apparently, it's not his first r- a role. He uh, was in a movie called Mortal Kombat: Annihilation, where he plays Raptor Number Three. Mm-hmm. So he had something. Uh, some anyway, so yeah, he plays Darth Maul. Uh, anyway, he he was born in Glasgow, Scotland. Another Scottish person. Wow, who knew? <laughs> Nineteen uh, August twenty third, nineteen seventy four. So he's forty seven years old. Uh, a, a youngster. Uh, yeah, by, by by my account anyway. And uh, so growing up, uh, he his father was a big fan of Bruce Lee. And so I'm sure there was a lot of uh, the martial arts movies going on at the age of seven. You got a, a bug, I guess, for really wanting to be a you know a martial arts guy, and so he trained, and um, you know he was practicing wushu, which is the uh, uh, kung fu, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the Chinese martial art. And he actually, uh, from '91 to '96, he became uh, the British uh, national wushu team, and uh, won won uh, I believe some medals and some awards in that regard. So. He definitely has the background in, um, you know, the uh, you know gymnastics, martial arts, and all that sort of stuff. He 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 had it, it was. I mean, that was you know since he was seven years old, he's been training. So, uh, plays. Uh, he gets the part for Darth Maul. Gets three lines, which are voiced by Peter. I'm going to butcher the name here, Sarah Finowitz. I think that's pretty close. So. Uh, Anyway, you know he he uh, he also does Sleepy Hollow, and he has a, his first speaking role as uh, Toad in the X Men movie uh, one year later. And, yeah, uh, he has a number of other movies. His, his filmography is not that extensive, but yeah, he does have he does have a, a number of roles. But he's most well known for playing mm-hmm. Darth Maul. And by you know, far. you know what's interesting too about uh, him portraying the character is uh, apparently they're going to be recast because there was a controversy. I think he took some inappropriate photographs that got leaked on the internet or something. Oh, I hadn't heard about that. Yeah, that was a pretty recent story. It, it, you know, I think people, you know, kind of they, they kind of it, it's kind of like the Paul Rubens thing. I don't think he should lose his job for it. It was, you know, uh, it was an unintentional leak. What what he does in his private life is nobody's business. But it is Disney, so they're going to be, you know, pain in the butt about stuff like that. But uh, what's interesting is he did he did resume uh, reprise the role for the solo, the end of the solo movie, and uh, he didn't do the voice again. It was. Sam Witwer did the voice, who was the guy who did the voice for him in uh, Rebels and um, uh, the Clone Wars TV series. So that okay. so they didn't even bring back the Peter Serafinowitz. Uh, oh, Peter Serafinowitz. Oh, he's the guy that played the Tick in that uh, TV series uh, that was out on Netflix a few years back. 
Okay. Um, the recent so, one or the first one? Uh, the recent one. And uh, oh, and uh, of course, Sam Witwer. Uh, you, you guys will know him from uh, Battlestar Galactica and uh, Smallville, uh, and being human. And he played Mister Hyde in Once Upon a Time as well. So okay. But uh, he he's been everywhere. But yeah, anyway, just another little tidbit there. But you know, so Ray Park has never done the voice of Darth Maul. Right, right, no. Uh, but he does the voice, ca- uh, the the action, uh, not the voice, um, action, capture. Ac- action capture. Thank you. Yeah, of, uh, yeah, some fights. So uh, yeah, definitely a very talented individual in that regard. Mm-hmm. So the character Darth Maul. Um, so I. Uh, did some diving on it. This is not a dive anywhere near like what Duke I did on Dooku, but I will I will go over him. So uh, apparently he was a force sensitive Dathomirian, which is the uh, he was a knight brother. There's a, a group called the Knight Sisters of uh, the, the planet Iridonia, and they're the ones that if you've seen some of the uh, uh, Rebel uh, or, or, or Clone Wars TV show had these like. Uh, laser bows. Mm-hmm. Those are the Night Sisters. So it's a pretty cool. It's a pretty cool race. Uh, uh, I'll grant that. So apparently, he was given as an infant to Darth Sidious, who took him over to a, hist- a hidden place, Mustafar, for training. And uh, this is back when Darth Sidious was a the apprentice to Darth Plagueis. And Plagueis was you know the original. The Darth or the uh, Sith Lord in charge during that time, and it violated the rule of two, which there's always only for the Siths. There's only supposed to be two of you. And apparently, Darth Plagueis knew about the existence of Maul. You know, being trained as an apprentice, although he technically wasn't trained as an apprentice. He was trained just basically as muscle. He's tr- lightsaber training. A few things, but not a true, not true Sith training, not true apprentice training. But he was definitely a badass when it came to combat. So Darth Plagueis was okay with the violation of the rule of two, because that way, uh, really, Maul could be expendable, disposable as a sacrifice, just in case something were to go wrong and be like, eh. Whatever, he's gone. Bye bye. You know, let it. So Plagueis was cool with it. So anyway, uh, the first real mission that Darth Maul is sent on is to there's a crime uh, organization called the Black Sun, and so he's sent to go and put the Black Sun in disarray. The purpose of this, whatever Plagueis, uh, I'm sorry, Sidious uh, wanted. So you know, it gets done. He goes in there, kicks ass. And, and totally just, you know, small, just <laughs> uh, succeeds in putting the Dark Sun in disarray. And then yeah. following that is when he is tasked to capture Padme alive so that she can be forced to sign the treaty with the Trade Federation that was blockading the planet Naboo. And this is where we've all seen where he goes to, tracks her down to the planet Tatooine, where the first battle with Qui-Gon happens, that battle ends with Qui-Gon jumping aboard the ship and then taking off. So Maul doesn't succeed there. And then Maul um, gets sent back to Naboo, and that's where he finally confronts uh, Qui-Gon and Kenobi 
takes them both on, and to be fair, yeah, they did. They could not handle him. He wins, but uh, in a moment of gloating, and uh, I know, I know this is hard to believe because Ben Kenobi himself said it: "When you have the high ground, it's over." We know this is true because that's what he told Anakin. But apparently, yeah. it's not true when a Sith has the high ground because, uh, we all, as we all saw, Kenobi, uh, you know, le four sleeps above him, pulls Qui Gon's saber, and boom, cuts cuts uh, Darth Maul in half, and his two body parts go falling into the thing. And now everybody thinks he's dead, you know, because they're taking uh, Kenobi's word for it, which eh, you know, getting cut in half horizontally. Had Kenobi cut him in half, you know, vertically, well, that's definite. But half, no. So apparently Darth Maul does not die from this. And he manages to escape Naboo. Details on that are sketchy. But he goes off to a planet called... I know I wrote this down. I'll find it. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Minor. Sorry for the delay. Lotho okay. Minor, which is apparently a junk planet. This is a place on the outer rim that uh, lots of other planets or civilizations send their junk to go dump on this planet because apparently your closest star or black hole isn't good enough. you got to carry it all the way over this planet <laughs> to dump well, on it. I mean, uh, yeah, well, it's a sci-fi, it, you know. Yeah, and it could be for, you know, uh, uh, you know, people who are looking for parts for ships and stuff, too. Apparently they buy junk and they're willing to pay for the transport costs across a galaxy to, mm. to uh, have this entire planet covered with junk. So there's a, yeah. So anyway, um, Darth Maul is, sur survives there for 12 years. He constructs sort of like a lower half mechanical body that's like spider-like and he survives on rodents as he slowly goes insane. Yeah. So, like I said, he he is believed to be dead, but a uh, night sister Talzin, Mother Talzin, mm, senses him through her abilities in the Force uh, as a night sister, and she sends his brother, who's uh, a younger brother, who's named Savage Opress. Yeah, great great name selection on in Star Wars. Yeah. Not as not as bad as you know. Pussy galore, I'll, I'll grant that, but it's still some names are, you know, they are what they are. So sends uh, Savage Press to go get his brother. Savage Press meets him. Maul kicks his ass, but then finds out, oh, you're my brother. So, great, they team up. So now Press and Maul go running around the Outer Rim because uh, in the 12 years that he was stuck and losing his mind, he had kind of amnesia he forgot but he kind of remembered that it was the jedi and his memory comes back anyway it, 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 he has this sense of revenge this yeah the darth maul character is very very focused on victory revenge violence for the sake of violence he's just a it's just a force of chaos it's not at all like dooku who had some definite redeeming qualities Maul's only redeeming qualities appeared to be, yeah, he cared for his brother a little bit. Yeah. Through, between between beatings. So they go and they go on a killing spree, killing innocent people across the Outer Rim to attract the attention of the Jedi, and thus the Jedi send Kenobi. And they 
and they succeed in capturing Kenobi, whereupon Darth Maul wants to torture him, you know, because revenge. Mm -hmm. And in the process, Asajj Ventress shows up because apparently there is a bounty on his brother, Savage Oppress. So she shows up, and and in the fight, frees um, Kenobi, and now Kenobi and Ventress are fighting, you know, back-to-back. -back. Big lightsaber battle. And the two of them are still outmatched by the two Darmothian brothers. And they escape together. Where, you know, that happens occasionally where Ventress, you know, I like the Ventress character more than I like the Maul character. But yeah. anyway, they escape. So now the Jedi are, uh, send bounty hunters and such to go chase down the two brothers. And they try to hook up with some pirates that fails then they get somehow hooked up with the mandalores and the uh darth maul kills the uh, the leader of uh, the mandalores and claims rulership of a squad of the mandalores that are called the death watch and then they try and get the huts to join and the black sun yeah the same black sun that he kicked ass on a few years before uh, something called the pike syndicate and he's like hey let's make a a criminal empire. Well, that didn't work. I don't, mm. It's like every plan these two brothers come up with fail. It's like they're they're just a they're just like the three the two stooges of the of the galaxy just <laughs> bundling along, killing people for revenge. You know, full of malice and hate. Just everything. It's just anyway. So in the process. Um, Darth Maul manages to kill Satine, Duchess Satine, who was the uh, the uh, the outcast uh, leader of Mandalore, because Mandalore fell to the Shadow Collective, who is another group. And this gets the attention of Darth Sidious. Darth yeah. Sidious thought he was dead, and like, whoops, you're still alive. Darth Sidious tracks him down, captures him, and in the process, kills his brother, Savage Repress. And this doesn't make Maul happy. Maul escapes, and then when I say escapes, it's believed that um, Dooku and Sidious allow him to escape so that he can lead them to uh, Sister Mother Talzin, which is what winds up happening. And so, there's a big fight now on the, 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 the planet Eridonia where it involves Dooku, Grievous, Jedi send a hit squad, Sidious is involved. Uh, Mandalores are still there, and of mm -hmm. course Talzin. I'll just wrap it up by saying Talzin is killed, and Maul escapes thanks to his Mandalore uh, lackeys that are still have some sort of a you know, know because he he's they're still their leader. Yeah. So that's the end of really the uh, the story of Maul in the term in, in the in that segment of the story, and somehow, some way, he dies afterward. The details on that are sketchy. Mm -hmm. And some splinter group of the dark side decides they're going to raise Darth Maul from the dead because this group thinks that Darth Vader, who is now the apprentice of Sidious, has been tainted. Because he was formerly a Jedi, and they want someone that is more Sithy. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to coin the word Sithy. <laughs> that you. works for me. Yes. <laughs> so the plan Sithies? is they're going to lure Vader and have their Maul 
their resurrected Maul kill Vader and thus replace Vader as Sidious, Sidious's apprentice, sidekick. Well, uh, apparently Vader has a more plot immunity than Maul does and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and kills Maul. Um, it, it, oh, oh, and this is cool. The uh, body of Maul is just left to get consumed by lava. As a, you know, I don't know what it is with Star Wars and lava, but that happened. And this splinter group gets slaughtered by Sidious because, yeah, you guys disrespected me. So it's just it's what it is. Wow. The, the last showing of Maul. Yeah, this is the guy that just will not die. They just keep bringing him back. I mean, he's worse than Duncan Idaho. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny one. <laughs> so, For Dune people. Go ahead. Yeah, Dune reference. Woo! So, <laughs> oh, I love the Duncan Idaho character. That's a great character. Um, I can't wait, by the way, for the Dune movie to come out. It, it's, I'm sure Jason Momoa is going to do that role justice. Where was I? Oh, Darth Maul gets brought back um, by um, another Darmothian scientist who uh, finds his brain and somehow is able to uh, put it on life support or something. And this creates a force ghost because we all know how in the Star Wars universe, how the force people can live uh, as a ghost and communicate yeah. like Dr. Kenobi did, Qui-Gon did, Yoda, etc. So apparently this ghost, because there's still a brain behind it, has the power to attack using force powers and whatnot, but is invulnerable to other attacks. You can't blast it or lightsaber it, of course. It's just a force ghost. And this is where Luke Skywalker finally shows up. I think this is a... Um, what's the term for a comic book that's, that's beefier? Graphic novel? Graphic novel, thank you. I had a brain fart there. Right, so I think this is a graphic novel story. So Darth uh, Luke Vader shows up to uh, confront this uh, Force Ghost problem. Says to the scientist, "Look, you can't keep him. He's a problem. <laughs> it's causing ripples in the Force." Blah blah blah. And Luke Skywalker turns off the life support on the brain, and that is the end of Darth Maul. So that severed his bond. To, Bingo! Uh, yes, exactly. It did sever to, the bond. Oh, oh no! Totally, the bond is severed, and not with a Look laser. <laughs> I I lost my gift because I put something else in. It's okay. Earlier, so. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I think I'm out of time to talk about Snake Eyes and uh, well, other things he's done. But yeah, uh, but uh, you know. Uh, I, I do think he did a serviceable serviceable job in both that role and the role of Toad. Uh, although I've yes. never a really... A great role in Toad. I've never really cared for the character of Toad. So, you know, I always thought... It's an was... awful character, yeah. but it was nicely done, at least in it the was. movie. It was. So, all right. Well, I tell you what. So it's that... better than being yeah. a, a villain that's whose body's made up of part of a car. And and he got, <laughs> he, he got a real speaking role, which made him, you know... A legit actor at that point. Yeah, so beefed up that. his SAG AFTRA uh, <laughs> stuff. Yes, he can get his insurance. <laughs> yeah, uh, in case he gets cut in half again. 
So anyway, oh, and Michelle, I forgot. Uh, I'm gonna have to tell you uh, at the end of the show, uh, but you know, because my word is my bond. I got to tell you about another uh, unrealized Tim Burton project. I said that would be a heartbreaker for you, and I yes, and you you teased me with that. You have to you have to fulfill it. I will. I will do Uh, so. uh, Anyway, we got to get going uh, to the break. We'll be right back with Michelle's segment on Paul Rubens right after this. How are you today? And now on with the show. Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last. The real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish hunter. Something evil. Mr. Herman. Mr. Herman, you have a telephone call at the front desk. Not recommended for impressionable children. Mr. Herman. Mr. <laughs> I cried. I cried when I saw that the first time. I still it gets me every time when I see it. I, I just love that. Um, but anyway, welcome back to the show. Uh, of course, uh, thanks again, Joe, for uh, all things Connery tonight. Okay. And Miles. He was my he was my Bond guy. Uh, hey. And, of course, Miles, thank you for uh, the history lesson on uh, Darth Maul uh, for Ray Park's birthday. Yep. And I hope he can rebound from um, his uh, personal uh, internet problems. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it looks like he is going to be recast. Uh, and, Michelle, all right, so this is really fun because... You know, you really got my mind racing about, you know, all the things uh, Paul Rubin had been in. Um, You know, because there were so many good things that you sent me that, you know, are, you know, awesome clips from movies that I love. And it's he's one of those guys where it's like, oh, my God, it's him. They put him in the movie, you know, you know, even after, again, you know, some somebody who had some personal problems that you know and and basically they tried to ruin his career so um yeah it's it's not like he exposed himself to kids or yeah. you know uh you know screwed every person in the world at his gym oh i'm sorry i'm bringing politics into this sorry. oops <laughs> but yeah the, you know he he yeah he was watching a pornography he made an indiscreet choice and they pilloried for him for that yeah. And I, I, that's not, I, I, I uh, <laughs> it's frustrating. It is frustrating. Yeah, it is. But, um, Paul Rubens born August 27th, 1952 in Peekskill, New York. I hope he's having a he, great birthday today. Yeah, he was, he was, a, he, he, he's a comedian. Um, he's still working today. He's in a lot of TV stuff. Yeah. So. You know, keep your eye open for him. If you're watching something on TV, you might see him. 
Well, and you know another uh, another intre- <laughs> um, interesting thing, another clip that I don't know if. Uh, um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, this this uh, I, I was watching an episode of Thirty Rock many many years ago, and uh, not that many years ago, but uh, this was him. I used to play it on my old show all the time. Thank you, thank you, all dear friends, for coming to my birthday. <laughs> That's Paul Rubens. So yeah, and 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 if you think about it, um, Pee Wee's Playhouse hosted a lot of people. That went on, you know, for careers. I mean, uh, oh, good lord, um, Lawrence, it was Lawrence, uh, Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne yeah. as Cowboy Curtis. Yeah, um, it wasn't wasn't even the oh god, what's the guy from the uh, the news radio guy? Um, he played uh, the captain. The, Phil the, Hartman. The, the, Phil, Phil Hartman. Hartman was yeah. on it. The late um, great Phil Hartman. I loved Phil Hartman, by the way. I thought he and was we a just genius. we just recently lost John Paragon, who played Jombie. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he died, I think, in April of this year. Well, and you know uh, the who the king of cartoons was, right? Yeah, I can't. I don't know the name offhand, but I know the face. He uh, he was the actor who played Blackula, uh, who was um, uh, William Marshall. Yes, yes. So it was a great show. It was a Broadway um, uh, sensation when he was a, a comedian. It became a TV show. They actually had a special on HBO that really boosted the 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 the, the, the Saturday morning cartoon mm-hmm. show, which was great. I and mean, not cartoon show, but the Saturday Saturday morning show. So, um, but yeah, let's um, let's introduce everybody to Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> gamble playing that whole thing uh just because it's it's less of a song and more of a show intro you know yeah it is but what's funny about this show is i think it was one of the first shows that actually combined 
adult and children's in the same thing because it had a lot of adult content, but it would go over the head of a lot of children. Yeah. So that's what really, really, um, I really enjoyed about this. Mm-hmm. What's also funny though is Pee Wee Herman, he had a really ha- big adult fan club. And that shows when he actually um he he sat he he was the MC is that what you call them uh, for an announcer yeah an announcer for WWE Raw <laughs> this I'd never heard of so I'm kind of excited to, to hear and this is recent too right no I think it's a little older oh okay. Uh, let's take a listen. Direct from his hit Broadway show, please welcome the one, the only, Pee-wee Herman! Well, King is our guest star tonight, and, uh, well, coming up a week from Thursday, Pee-wee Herman appears on Broadway at the Stephen Sondheim uh, Big Broadway play, and it's huge. The whole playhouse has been reunited, King, the whole gang. This Yvonne Mailman, Mike Cowboy Curtis, and if you go to WWE.com, there's a special offer there for WWE fans to check out Pee-wee on Broadway. I love Pee-wee. Doesn't shock me. Look at that. Doesn't shock me at all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks a lot. It's such a thrill for me to be here tonight. I am totally feeling raw. I want to explain to you about tonight's secret word. You all remember what to do whenever anyone says a secret word, right? Yes, yes. I love this game. Tonight's secret word. And remember, it's a secret. Ring. Ring. I got it, ring. You remember what to do whenever anyone says a secret word, right? Yes. That is so correct for the rest of the night. Whenever anyone says a secret word, scream really loud. There you go. And that appearance was from November 1st, 2010. So not super recent, but uh, but yeah. So that was kind of the beginning of his comeback, really. Yeah, and it, it kind of makes me really giggle because I, I did not know that. And I as I, I fell down the rabbit hole and I was looking like, wow, this yeah. is cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, because uh, well, the, the tip off is if it's WWE, it is after like 2001. If it's before, okay. or maybe maybe nineteen around two thousand, around the two thousand mark, because there was the big lawsuit. They used to be called WWF, and then the World Wildlife Foundation sued them to get them to change the name, so they changed it to World. And they should have, yes. World Wrestling <laughs> Entertainment instead of World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, but that 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 was a, re- a pretty cool little clip. I I figured people would really enjoy that. Sure, I know you lo- kind of like the wrestling stuff with the glow and all that such. So. Definitely the glow stuff. That that stuff, you know. But uh, I do have a a few warm fuzzies from '80s wrestling stuff. You know, I I, I was you know I I was a fan of uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper uh, to a certain degree. Uh, yeah, I, I I like Rowdy Roddy Piper. I like the I like the Bushwhackers. Oh, <laughs> they were funny. They were just yeah. silly, so I love them. 
<laughs> and you know, I, I like some of the the you know performers that have been uh, produced from the world of wrestling. You know, Dwayne Johnson and uh, Dave oh, Batista. Batista. Oh, Batista. Dave Batista is is he's a genius. You know, he is amazing. So, yes, and he is a great uh, champion for uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, individuals because he has and Cena is too right. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, he yeah Cena is great and he's a good champion as well. But uh, Batista has two moms. So and. Uh, he uh, he got in somebody's face one time, and could you imagine? <laughs> oh God, that'd be scary. You don't want to get that man angry. No. Oh, oh boy. So, um, uh, but yeah. So you know, there, there's been a lot of you know interesting characters. You know, I mean, you know, I used to kind of guffaw the you know it's oh it's all fake and whatever, and it's like well whatever. It's it, it you know at least they admitted it's entertainment at one point, and you know. Again, Rowdy Roddy Piper was in, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, at least one of my favorite John Carpenter movies, you know, uh, They Live. So. Yep, yep. Uh, and, you know, and again, you know, Batista, everything he's in is great. Everything, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson, he does some dumb movies, but, you know, he's been in a lot of great stuff. Right. Yep. But people are probably listening to me and uh, Michelle. You're the you're the crazy horror girl. What is horrific about Paul <laughs> Rubens? Well, Paul Rubens has some acting chops. Um, there's a little bit of a movie people might not remember it, it because uh, the TV series eclipsed it. But there's yes. a movie called Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Paul Rubens played an amazing vampire in it. He really did. And I, I was so happy when when you you and I kind of bonded over this a long time ago, just because yes. it's such a classic scene. But do you want to uh, you want to tell everybody exactly what the scene is? Um, let's play it. And okay. uh, actually, I think I have the trailer. I, I'm I don't have the scene. This is oh the okay. All right, me. here we go. Uh, this is the here. I just met this girl named Buffy. I'm Pike. Pike isn't a name, it's a fish. I liked her, even though she seemed kind of flaky. But, as it turns out... You have been chosen, Buffy. To do what? To stop the vampires. Does Elvis talk to you? And things started getting weird around here. Are we having a nightmare? You threw a knife at my head. And you caught it. She was the one person I could really count on. Kill him a lot. Hi. Hi. What are you doing here? What am I doing here? I'm saving your butt. That is a bad guy. Can we go, please? The Slayer is unmasked. Let's finish it. I think this relationship has potential. Hi. How's it going? You're obviously having a bad hair day. If she can just get rid of those other guys in her life. Christy Swanson. I am so sure. Donald Sutherland. Ah, ah. Paul Rubens. <laughs> ah. With Rutger Hauer and Luke Perry. Buffy, you're not like other girls. Ah. Yes, I am. Buffy, the Vampire Slayer. You didn't even break a nail. Directed by Fran Rubel Kazooie. Yeah, all I can say that's my favorite death scene in a movie ever. It is. I mean, great. Are, it like, is because he's, he's so... like sitting on the floor and he like kicks the wall gently. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
because uh, he he got he has a wooden stake in in him, right? Yeah, yeah, he does, and he he's sitting there and standing by her for a short period of time. He's like, uh, uh, and he looks at her. And he's like, uh, uh, you know, it's like he's making sure she's paying attention to his pain. Yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> It's just so, it was such a strange choice, but it just it, 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 one of those really memorable things, and probably one of the best things about that movie. Really, um, it, it, it's super cool. Yeah, so. it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's got Donald Sutherland in it, so you know he had fun with the role. From what I oh heard. yeah, so yeah, I forgot Sutherland was in it, and uh, and I heard his voice, and I was like, oh, well, I knew who that is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no mistake there. Um, yeah, so yeah, people should actually look at that movie. If if you like the Buffy series, look at the origination movie because it it some of the 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 um, history uh, carries on to the Buffy franchise, even though it wasn't written by Josh Whedon, the original movie. But, yeah, yeah, but you're totally you, you you couldn't have picked a better phrase for you know what you know the the show did eclipse the movie. It's it's one of those yes. one of those rare instances where I think you know um, you know even though it is kind of a legendary film in its own right, I think uh, another good example of that would be Mash because of the the popularity and longevity right. of the TV series. Yep. You know, so very and, similar. Hey, and but, guess what? Donald Sutherland, Sutherland was in both of those. Yes, he was. <laughs> Which so. is kind of funny. Maybe like a little bit of a curse starting. No. no. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Paul Rubens, he, he doesn't, you know, just do, you know, these these crazy little, you know, comedic characters. He actually has a good, talented voiceover actress, actor. He's done stuff in, um, I think, DC. He's done with, with like Justice League or something, didn't he? Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll look it up. Um, but uh, but um, I, I yeah, just he, saw it today. So go ahead. Yeah, he was in Nightmare Before Christmas as Locke. And I have that for you right here. How horrible our Christmas will be. No. How jolly. Oh, how jolly our Christmas will be. What are you doing here? Jack sent for us. Specifically. By name. Lock. Shock. Barrel. Jack! Jack! It's Boogie's Boys! Ah, Halloween's finest trick-or-treaters. The job I have for you is top secret. It requires craft, cunning, mist. And we thought you didn't like us, Jack. <laughs> Absolutely no one is to know about it, not a soul. Now, and one more thing. Leave that no account oogie boogie out of this. Whatever you say, Jack. Of course, Jack. Wouldn't dream of it, Jack. <laughs> Uh, he actually, um, did the voice of Batmite several times, and, uh, in, in many different things, in Batman Brave and the Bold, and some video games, and, uh, the, I can't think of a, a, a funnier, you know, character for him from the DC Universe, that's great, Batmite, and, um, uh, he did, uh, some Rugrats episodes, 
And looks like he did some uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kung Fu Panda, Legends of Awesomeness. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Phineas and Ferb, Pickle and Peanut, <laughs> Couch Dracula. <laughs> he played Couch Dracula in a show called Pickle and Peanut. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, but- he was in live action Gotham show as well. So another role in a bat in in, in a Batman related franchise. Yeah, and what's funny is Nightmare Before Christmas with Tim Burton. There you go. Yeah. So uh, so it's another callback back to Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So there you are. Absolutely. So, you know, and, uh, and of course, you know, he, he was in uh, Batman Returns as well. So obviously he, uh, he and uh, Tim Burton are, are pretty solid friends. Yeah, it's kind of fun, funny when, when that sort of thing happens. Because, you know, you have the, uh, your directors and your actors, if, they've, if they have a bond like that, it can really be profitable. Sometimes it can hurt you, but most of the time it's really enjoyable to see them having, you know, the, the recurring roles. So, yeah. So it is hard to believe Um, he is 69 years old today. Yeah. Um, I, I love him to death and I, I I didn't know anything about his comedic uh, career on Broadway. Mm -hmm. When I originally was introduced to him. It was Pee Wee's Playhouse, but it was the HBO version. Yes. Which was the more adult version. Yes. But still, if you watch the old Saturday morning card, uh, Saturday morning versions, they were still pretty adult. They were kind mm-hmm. of like, it was like a two tiered show, which I really enjoyed. You know, the yeah. kids got a giggle out of certain things, and the adults got a giggle out of the others. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, also uh, Lynn Marie Stewart, who played uh, Missy Vaughn, uh, she's been uh, sh- she's she's played uh, Charlie's mother on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia for uh, many seasons, and she's been in some other. Um, gosh, I just saw her in a movie the other day, um, and I don't remember what it is. But yeah, she, I remember her in the with that bouffant hairdo and the crinolines. Oh my oh lord! Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, but, but uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, Paul Rubin's characters kind of uh, they're they're fun. A lot of times they don't portray him as a main person, but in Mystery Men, they portrayed him in a character that my husband Miles absolutely loves. And he giggles every time he hears them. It's a great movie, and again, it's based on a comic book series. Uh, I forget the name of the creator, but he was the guy who uh, created the character Flaming Carrot, and the Mystery Men were the team that the Flaming Carrot was on, but the Flaming Carrot did not make it to the big screen. Yeah, uh, I, I love the movie. I own it, yeah. and it's one of my faves. And, and I guess say Hank Azaria as the Blue Raja is, uh, is yes. pretty hilarious, too. And it, the, you will hear a little bit from the Blue Raja. Everybody in here. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, what's her name is the bowler um, gosh I, I love her and I can't remember her name um, oh god I can't remember either I can f- picture her face <laughs> uh, Janine Garofalo yes so yeah great cast great cast I learned. but yeah so here we go uh, the introduction of the spleen this is for this is the part where they're recruiting right yes they're in the diner recruiting people alright here we go Oh, bugger all. It's the spleen. Oh, but play dead. Who's that? Turn, turn your head. Don't say anything.
Hey, fellas, we're down in Swedish looking for superheroes. Uh oh, not really. Yeah. Uh, actually, we're just leaving. Yes, rather than that. Oh, here we go. Perfect time. That's for you. Hamburger, right? Yeah, it's like it. Enjoy. Why you guys so kissing me? It hurts my feelings. I'm a superhero too. I have powers. Really? Oh, like what? Ooh, so glad you asked. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. It all started when I was just 13 years of age. One day, while walking with some friends, I accidentally cut the cheese. Well, in my adolescent awkwardness, I blamed it on an old gypsy woman who happened to be passing by. Big mistake! The gypsy woman placed a curse upon my head. Because I'd smelt it, she decreed I would forevermore be he who dealt it! <laughs> Let me illustrate. No, you don't have to. It's not necessary, it. really. Let's see. Distance? Seven meters. Airspeed normal? <laughs> Compensate for air conditioning? Pull my fingers. Don't do it. Oh, dear God. S! Silent, but deadly. That's good shooting. <laughs> that was amazing. It's disgusting. Don't you cut it, What does the Blue Raja do? Throw cutlery? Yes, he does. Yep. <laughs> did I did I hear Planet Claire playing in the background? Um. Well, I heard I at the beginning Possibly. it was it was Peter Gunn at the beginning. I didn't hear what was after that. I, I kind of was. What, what they were playing was. Uh, Planet Claire. <laughs> I, I do you know the song? No. She came from Planet Claire. I know she came from. She drove no. a Plymouth satellite. <laughs> no, that, I wouldn't be surprised. But, I mean, if you, you, you're, uh, I was, uh, I was uh, entranced by the dialogue. So. Oh, okay. I, I just right. heard Planet Claire in the in the uh, in the background. I said, oh, that's a interesting choice. Nice. So, uh, yeah, that movie, as I recall, had a pretty hip soundtrack. So, um, you know, there, there was some good stuff in it. Uh, yeah, you might want to check that movie out. It's got uh, Ben Stiller in it and, like, uh, you know, uh, Janine Garofalo and um, um, I just said his name, Hank Azaria, Paul Rubens. And the guy, yeah, the guy that played the, uh, what's the guy? Uh, the other guy. Um, Macy? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, William, Macy. A William H. Macy. Macy is the shoveler, yeah. So... They all kind of have really useless superpowers. What was what was Ben Stiller's power in that? He got angry. He was an angry oh. man. Oh Remember? yeah, yeah, that's right. He just got angry. <laughs> so. And the other kid was like the invisibility boy, but he never really went invisible. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then it, the bowler had her father's skull in her bowling ball. Yeah, she, she turned out to kind of be like, the most yeah. powerful. Oh, Greg Kinnear is in it too, right? I think so. He plays the the traditional kind of Superman kind of character, and what happens? Oh yeah, that is, gets yeah, wow. killed. And, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> but no, that's a pretty funny movie. You might want to check that one out, Joe, if you haven't seen it. Well, if it's if Planet Claire is on the soundtrack, I will check that out. There you go. There you go. The B if the B fifty twos. 
uh, got on the soundtrack, I'm okay. There you, there you go. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a fun movie, and and the whole the the whole thing with the uh the, the spleen. It, it, I, all I can remember is when we originally watched it, Miles just giggling. He loves fart humor, so he just he's giggling constantly. Hey, living on I don't you. consider it a week. <laughs> no. Living on Long Island uh, has confirmed that the music sounded like the B fifty twos. Planet well, there Claire. You go. I wasn't even paying attention, so uh, I was listening to uh, the the mad skills of the spleen. Um, the spleen, yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, Michelle, anything you, else you want to add before we uh, get to the trailer uh, break? No, I think we're close here now. So okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, go ahead and tell everybody what we're going to hear on this trailer break because uh, you picked out some doozies for everybody. Yes, we have um, another birthday boy this uh, this this week is Don Lafontaine. Everybody will know know him as in a world where I can't do his voice because in I am too. Yeah. yeah, you can do it better than I can. But um, yeah, so I have picked um, five uh, four trailer breaks that uh, have him as a voiceover person. We have Black Christmas two thousand and six. That's the remake. We have Scooby-Doo, 2002. We have The Bride of Chucky in 1998. And we have something I had never heard before, but I found it. A once-bitten trailer that's completely Don LaFontaine. So I love it. And he does, like, a really different voice in that, too, which is pretty wild. Yes, it's so, great. Uh, but, yeah, this is pretty great. Happy birthday to the late, great Peter LaFontaine. And uh, Don LaFontaine, rather. Don LaFontaine, yes. And uh, I was thinking of uh, uh, Peter Cullen. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Don LaFontaine, this uh, trailer break. It's all about you, bro buddy. Fifteen years ago, on Christmas Eve, his family became his victims. What have you done? are officially closed this one is not gonna let up a group of college friends that sucks everyone should be home for christmas are about to discover lauren we're opening up presents why don't you open the present we got you their house i got it is his home all is calm all is bright who is in my house tonight don't you have lots of toys to deliver to good little boys and girls you really shouldn't provoke somebody like that. And on December 25th... You're definitely getting punked. Is that Santa's reindeer? All he wants for Christmas... Is Megan in her room? Is a new family he can treat like his very own.
Christmas. On a faraway island, ancient forces have been awakened, and only one thing stands between them and the enslavement of all mankind. <laughs> I'll have whatever he's having. This place is like uber creepy. Scooby, we're here to solve a mystery. Laurie. Warner Brothers Pictures presents Fred. Fred, what's the secret of your success? Teamwork. I do a tremendous amount of teamwork. Daphne. Now who's the damsel in distress? Me? Straight up. Thelma. The smart one. Right. <laughs> and you've always been a chick? Zoinks! Shaggy. What are you doing, man? Oh, boy. Like, there's a ghost right behind me, isn't there? And... <laughs> Scooby-Doo. I got bad feeling about this. Those creatures are taking over the world? That is so mean. That was weird. <laughs> Let's get jinky with it. Scooby-Doo. Oh my god. No one is stupid enough to believe that. Who's the ugly old broad? Rank you, rank you, rank you. Once in a little-known hamlet called Hollywood, there were three young guys who did absolutely nothing except think, drink, eat, sleep, and dream about women. Grown-up, high-heeled, low-slung, flirtatious women. Trouble is, they couldn't find any that lived up to their high expectations, which were pretty low until one of them met the Countess. She had an incredible thirst for blood, virgin blood, in Hollywood, no less. One look and he was smitten, one kiss and he was bitten, one bite and he was hers forever. Once bitten, you may see a funnier movie one day, but don't stick your neck out. Coming this fall from the Samuel Goldwyn Company, Once Bitten.
Thank you. Thank you, all dear friends. Welcome to my birthday! And that is so appropriate because today is Paul Rubin's birthday. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I completely forgot about it until we started doing the show. So, uh, And did you notice a, a, a very familiar scream at the end of that Bride of Chucky uh, trailer? I recognize the scream. I'm not sure where it comes from. Oh, uh, it's the scream they always played on the Stephanie Miller show after uh, the drama oh, yes. thing and stuff. So, um, yeah, and I've heard that scream in so many movies. It's like yes. the female female version of the Wilhelm scream. Uh, you know, which uh, Miles should be familiar with the Wilhelm scream uh, from uh, uh, all of its use in just about every Star Wars movie. Hmm. Yo, Not you're coming you, to mind. Oh my God, we got to do I'll a show. I recognize it if I hear it. But. We got to do a show about the Wilhelm scream at some point. Um, and uh, let, let me see if I have that recorded somewhere. Um, but but I, it, I, I, f I figured yeah. those LaFontaine trailers would be great because they just they they uh, showcased his voice beautifully. Oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. The uh, but of course, uh, welcome back, uh, uh, Miles and Michelle, and of course uh, Joe. Yep. And uh, thank you uh, for your input tonight. Thanks to Adam Hebert uh, for his, uh, another terrific uh, mythical moment. And be sure to check out uh, his um, new uh, endeavors uh, on Wednesday. Well, the the title, uh, oh shoot, post it again, Adam, and I'll I'll say it uh -oh. again. Oh, he's he's off air. I uh, hang on. I I think I have the uh, it's um I'll find it and. Uh, but yeah, so but welcome back, and uh, we got to talk about the Wilhelm scream at some point. But uh, let me let me find Dread Time Stories. Uh, Dread Time Stories, thank you. Um, and uh, yeah, the uh, uh, let me let me find let me find the Wilhelm scream. Um, uh, here's a Wilhelm scream compilation. Uh, I'll play a little bit of this video. This is because it's been done in so many movies. This yeah, is from the Charge at Feather River, 1953. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that happens in a yeah, lot of video okay. games too. They use that a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the movie Them. <laughs> yep. And the origins of this, of the Wilhelm scream, but it, it's been used, and George Lucas uses it in, like, every movie. It's been used in uh, the Indiana Jones movies and uh, the Star Wars movies. And once you recognize the Wilhelm scream, you'll be like, oh, there's the Wilhelm scream. And, and you know, they use it, I've, I've heard them, they use it in a lot of comedies, just so many things. It's just a, one of those crazy little tropes. And from what I understand, um... The Wilhelm scream uh, was done. Uh, it, it first started in a movie, a 1951 movie called Distant Drums, and the scream is believed to be voiced by uh, Sheb Woolley. Um, and uh, he was um, he did Purple People Eater. Uh, oh yeah. So, okay. So yeah. So and here, here's a, uh, here's a, a raw Wilhelm scream. This is on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it cracks me up every time I hear it. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's in every uh, every uh, oh yeah. But Adam, Dread Time Stories, seven p.m. on Wednesdays. I believe it's seven p.m. or nine p.m. I can't remember. Um, sorry, I'm I'm older now. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so the Wilhelm scream. That's that's a uh, that's a fun one. Um, and we'll we'll uh, do a deep dive on that at some point. I'll try and find uh, a, a place. Uh, to, to wiggle that in. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, Michelle, uh, since you're talking about Paul Rubens, I was going through my audio library, and I'm like, what do I have from Pee Wee Herman? I know I have some stuff. Um, but uh, the uh, he, here is a, a, a special something for you. A warning from Pee Wee Herman. This is crack, rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff. It's the most addictive kind of cocaine and it can kill you. What's really bad is nobody knows how much it takes. So every time you use it, you risk dying. It isn't worth it. Look, everybody wants to be cool, but doing it with crack isn't just wrong could be dead wrong. Don't do crack. How are you today? So, <laughs> uh, but you know, he, he's not wrong, but I thought it was a strange choice to, to get Pee Wee Herman to do a crack cocaine PSA. Actually, it's not bad, considering the time. Um, yeah. I live in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Mm-hmm. We are like 15 minutes n- south of Fort Pierce, which in the 80s was one of the crack capitals of the world, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, it's uh, been, you know, it was pretty bad in Cleveland back in the day, too. Uh, fortunately, you know, it's it's not. Uh, as bad now um you know i think people are more interested in just smoking marijuana and then all the hillbillies in uh appalachia are taking oxy um but uh but yeah so uh it was a you know little little treasure from the the audio vault here for you um because uh, i knew we'd have a little bit of time towards the end since we weren't doing the uh the uh twilight zone tonight but we'll, we will get back on track for that um but let's what what's also interesting about uh, Paul Rubens is he also re he plays a vampire in another series, what we do in the shadows. Oh yeah, that's right. It, it was just like a brief, I think one or two episodes at the end of the first season, mm-hmm. and he plays a character called Paul. And what's funny is if you look at the makeup and the way his uh, his um, sorry. <laughs> Uh, that's my phone. I should have turned it off. It's but. fine. It was funny. Sounded. Yeah, I, I apologize. But I thought um, that was the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually it's actually uh, Adam family, but yeah. Um, Go ahead. But, but the way his hair is done and his goatee and stuff, he very he looks very similar to the uh, vampire he played in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. 
So it's kind of enjoyable to me. Little, I little nod. Have a giggle out of it. Yeah, I think little, so. Little nod, and uh, they use his real name too. So yeah. So as promised, uh, Michelle, I do ha- want to get back to Tim Burton. There are a few other. Uh, yeah, I need to know about this. <laughs> yeah, there are a few other. Uh, it, it, you know, and this is the saddest. This one is really sad, and I'm going to read this directly from from Wikipedia. Um. In the 90s, he was working on something called Conversations with Vincent. And you know who he's talking, who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, it says, uh, he held a fascination with Vincent Price films since his childhood. He first worked with the actor in ni- the 1982 television film Hansel and Gretel, which I didn't know about, in a second collaboration on the 1982 short film Vincent. Um, and uh, during the production of Edward Scissorhands in 1990 in which Price portrayed the inventor, Burton, uh, he conceived the idea of making an independent documentary film on the actor. Using the working title, Conversations with Vincent, with self-financing from his own production company, Burton shot the film in black and white over a three-day period at the Vincent Price Gallery in in East Los Angeles College in uh, April of 1991. In addition uh, to Price, Roger Corman... And Samuel Z. Arkov were interviewed. Conversations with Vincent was stalled when Burton went to work on Batman Returns in 1992. After Price's death in October of 93, um, and after, uh, I'm sorry, that was a continuation of the sentence, and after Price's death in October 93. In December of 94, it was announced that Burton was returning to the hour-long documentary. Lucy Chase Williams, author of The Complete Films of Vincent Price, was working as a consultant. Uh, the film would likely have been released direct to the to the direct video market, but the project was ultimately abandoned and remains unfinished. Why? They have all the footage in beautiful black and yes, white. Yes, and they should release it. Come on. I know. Oh God, do I have to start a letter writing campaign? God damn it. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should. We should uh, bombard them with Wilhelm screams. <gasps> yes, uh, come on. And uh, <clears throat> excuse no, me. No, but oh god, that's frustrating, isn't it? It is, and it, I did not know this, and it makes me sad. <laughs> I knew it would break your heart. I did. I was. I. I took. I, I took my chances. I, I didn't want to hurt you too bad, but it's out there, and you know what? It might be released someday. Um, oh please, please let. It, uh, maybe, maybe I should just like try to find uh, Tim Burton and just throw letters at him. <laughs> just stalk him, and um, but no, then again, him, don't but... do that because I don't want to have to post Bond for you. Woo! <laughs> there. <laughs> well, I should have had the Wilhelm scream for all night for when we yell really loud. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I thought you would, uh, you know, at least now that you know of the existence of it, we can be on the lookout for it, and maybe there are petitions out there that we can add our names to. Oh, please, uh, yeah, I- I'm gonna look at that. Yeah. I-, I have to look that up, because, oh my god, Tim Burton would be the greatest person to to portray that, I think. Well, you know, and I think it's interviews that he conducted, too, so that's, you know, yeah. uh, you know, fat, just, and, and shot maybe, in black maybe and white. The, maybe you could reach out to his daughter or something, because Vincent Price's daughter is a really amazing person, so. Yeah, yeah, that would be just incredible, and people would pay for it. People would pay for a Blu-ray of that. 
you know, or I, do, I would go streaming. into Kickstarter for it. Sure. Hell yes. Well, like Tim Burton needs money for that. Um, no, so. <laughs> if, if it has to be released, I, you know, I, I, I'd wonder if I'd be happy to put my name on as a producer or something. You know, I did for there Into Darkness too. So there you go. There you go. Um, so uh, there were some failed Beetlejuice uh, sequel attempts as well. Um, uh, Warren Scarin uh, wrote a sequel uh, script called Beetlejuice in Love, which is a great title. But um, he was unable to keep uh, uh, to keep polishing his story uh, um, past the first draft, um, and then he died. Uh, in 1990, uh, Burton hired writer Jonathan Gems uh, for a sequel to Beetlejuice entitled Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. <laughs> and uh, in 91, Burton was still interested in directing a sequel and hired uh, Daniel Waters to write another script, but they decided to focus on Batman Returns. Batman Returns is ruining a lot of things here. Um, so, uh, but, uh, apparently Water's story outlined, uh, the, the outline involved Beetlejuice appearing in the White House and harassing the Clinton family. <laughs> okay, that's weird. Yeah. And then in 1996, uh, Warner Brothers decided to hire Kevin Smith to write another draft of the Hawaiian script, but he turned it down, um, uh, to write the script for the unmade Superman Lives. Superman Lives, if anybody knows anything about this, this is a whole other... We could do three hours on this. There's a documentary about this. Um, the movie... They, they, There was going to be a Tim Burton-directed Superman movie with Nicolas Cage as Superman. They had the costumes. They had the set... They, they had... Uh, props made. They had uh, all of the concept art done. They had script after script after script. Um, and Kevin Smith actually has a an hilarious story about meeting with one of the producers for it, insisting that there had to be a giant spider for Superman to fight in it. And when the movie never got made, the next movie that this guy, one of the next movies that this guy was a producer on, um, was the Wild Wild West with Will Smith and Kevin Klein, and he forced them to put a giant spider in that, <laughs> a giant mechanical spider. Uh, so, so this guy was just obsessed with the mecha mechanical spider uh, in in a or giant spider in in a movie for somebody to fight, and uh, he finally got it in the Wild Wild West, I guess, but. Uh, but yeah, this movie was, uh, I remember when it was coming out, when they were talking about it, I was very, very, very opposed to the idea of Nicolas Cage playing Superman. And I was like, no, I mean, because, you know, in the comic book world, we were all talking about this movie. Um, because, you know, it was, uh, um, have any of you guys heard of this? No. no, no, no. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's a documentary out there called "The Death of Superman Lives." What happened? And uh, but, uh, yeah, there was. Uh, there were there were conditions put on where like one of the producers didn't want Superman to be able to fly, and uh, they didn't want his costume to be, uh, you know, 
red and blue. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. And yeah, the that was um, uh, John Peters was the guy who wanted the giant spider and didn't want Superman to fly. And he actually, Kevin Smith actually accepted the terms. Um, and he did Brainiac as a giant spider, had giant spiders that were under Brainiac's control or something. And, uh, but the, but Will Smith, or not, I'm sorry, not Will Smith. Um, uh, uh, Kevin Smith was actually adding in, he had appearances like, like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle and all kinds of comic book characters because it was going to be about the death and resurrection of Superman but the movie, it was just crazy. Like, you know, they had the cast picked out. Um, they, uh, Smith, uh, uh, Kevin Smith um, originally wanted Ben Affleck to be Superman. Uh, he wanted Jack Nicholson as Lex Luthor. He just played the Joker, so why not? And uh, he wanted Jason Lee, one of his buddies, is Brainiac. Um and he wanted uh, uh, Jay from Jay and Silent Bob, Jason Mewes, as Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, on a side note, uh, Ben Affleck did go on to portray actor George Reeves in the 2006 uh, Hollywoodland. And, of course, he was in Batman in the DC Extended Universe and played Daredevil as well. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, Superman lives. At some point, we'll do, I'll do an entire, you know, half hour hour on this because it's 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 a fascinating story and i'll get some of that documentary uh footage about some of the crap that that happened uh but it's a it's a fascinating tale and that is a yet another tim burton movie that never got made but there were so many other things uh that he was working on um there was uh he, he they wanted him for jurassic park he didn't do it they wanted him for catwoman he didn't do it they wanted him for a third Batman film. He didn't do it. He was originally supposed to direct Cabin Boy with uh, Chris Elliott, but um, he left that to uh, direct Ed Wood, and uh, Adam Resnick took his uh, job on there in 94. Another one, another heartbreaker for you, Michelle. He was supposed to do uh, The Fall of the House of Usher. Um, oh, oh, not really? Yeah, on uh, a screenplay by Jonathan Gems, who uh, he worked with before, but he chose to direct Mars Attacks instead. Um, well, Mars Attacks, I like Mars Attacks. Too, Mars so Attacks is hysterical, yeah. 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 It, they wanted him to do a movie called Dinosaurs Attack. Uh, Dinosaurs Attack was were is, was a trading card series by Topps um, yeah. from 1988. No, it's crazy that this was a really gorgeous trading card series. I think I have it somewhere, unless I sold it. Um, but uh, Dinosaurs Attack, it was insane. They they were gory, crazy cards, beautiful paintings of dinosaurs by some weirdo artist. And um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, oh, they wanted him for uh, a, a reboot of X, the Man with the X Ray Eyes. Um, uh, Tim Burton's Lost in Oz, Ripley's Believe It or Not movie, uh, Planet of the Apes sequel, Batman the Musical, <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory musical, um, and uh, there was a supposed to be a, a there was a canceled Adams Family stop motion animated film in the early 2010s. 
Um, you know, uh, the hunchback in Notre Dame, he didn't do, I mean, there's so many things he didn't do and they were going to, they were hoping for a dark shadows sequel as well. I didn't mind that movie, but I know a lot of purists of the original series probably didn't actually, enjoy it. Actually, I love the original series and I yeah. like the Johnny Depp movie. Um, my favorite line of that movie is that's one ugly woman when talking about Alice Cooper. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, but that that was an interesting uh, cameo uh, of Alice Cooper. Interesting addition. But yes. anyway, so yeah, there was a there's a lot of stuff uh, that uh, uh, he did not end up doing. And uh, oh oh, actually, Robert Downey Jr. enlisted uh, Burton to direct War- a Warner Brothers retelling of Pinocchio in 2012. But he pursued Big Eyes, and then uh, Ben Stiller was attached to direct. But I don't think they did that. Did they? Okay. No, they didn't. I don't think so. so it doesn't sound familiar. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, there you go. There's a little uh, secret history of uh, what Tim Burton didn't do. And it is now, we are uh, overdue to wrap up the show, everybody. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, give everybody our well wishes before we wrap things up. Uh, Joe, what do you got before we uh, say goodnight to the nice folks? Oh, I'm okay. Uh Listen to the Tim Cormall show on Sunday. That's we're gonna right. Have, uh, we're going to have Florida burning. Oh. oh boy, oh, boy. <laughs> yep. That's, That's where little... we live. So, yep, I know what you're talking about. It's <laughs> a little close to home. Yep. So, uh, all right. Uh, and um, uh, Miles, what do you got? Uh, if you're in Louisiana, hunker down. Sunday is gonna get rough. Yeah. So and it's expected to be a massive, which is over 110 miles an hour. So yeah. Oof. I I hope everybody's okay down there, but I'll look forward to those winds breaking up and uh, getting rid of some stagnant air up here. Um, and yeah, it'll uh, be coming our way. Yeah. The rain, sure. anyway. Yeah. And, uh, Michelle, thank you. And thank you guys very much for uh, bringing what you bring to the show tonight. And, Michelle, uh, thank you uh, for uh, doing all our research for us and uh, making sure we have the best material to work with. I try. Um, I have a few little bits of tib- uh, trivia about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the, the film, uh, since it's Paul Rubens and all that. Um, there was actually... Uh, uh, Ben Affleck was actually in the movie. Cool. But are they still there? We got less than a minute. Did we lose Michelle? Hello? Oh, there you are. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Uh, Ben Affleck was uh, one of the basketball players, uncredited. And Seth Green appeared in the movie for about three seconds. So that's a that's a link between Buffy the Vampire Slayer the movie and Buffy the Vampire Slayer the TV series. There you go. There it is. There it is. All right. Well, thank you everybody uh, for tuning in tonight. Hope you had fun. Uh, podcast is forthcoming, and we'll uh, we'll see everybody next week for another three hours of fun on it. Came from Cleveland. It's an important job. I need someone I can trust. 
You are my number one guy.